When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Somehow we were off for like an unintentional week, but here we are. We're back. It's the 1st of June. We're in the sixth month of the year. This year is flying by. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of a live morning combat. My name is Luke Thomas. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C., joined by the Browning <laughs> Viceroy of Connecticut, the king of rider lawnmowers, my friend and yours, Brian Campbell. Hello, Brian Campbell. How are yes. you, sir? Well, well, Luke, I'm decently tanned for a pale bastard because of my broken lawnmower and I'm using the push one. But beyond that, Luke, uh, what a time to be alive. I'm happy. Uh, we got a we got a family lake membership this year, Luke. So I was you know, swimming yesterday on the day off. I mean, you know, not not bad, right? Not wait, a bad wait. Life. So what is the what does the lake membership buy you exactly? Happy. Like, obviously, access to the lake, but do you get like like jet skis or what do you what do you get you have access to water sports you can bring your you have you know in most cases you have to buy your own but you can rent too there's you know basketball street hockey trails nature ponds i mean you know cross-country skiing there's a lot of things going on there luke all right we're on the waiting list for a decade but you know we cashed it in thanks to the labels that pay me luke so uh you know not bad for for a, for a factory town reject right <laughs> not bad for a factory town reject at all all right so we have a lot to get to today. It's a bit of a, let's be honest, it's a bit of a dull moment in the sport. There's not a whole lot going on, but we actually have some stuff we're pretty excited about talking uh, talking to you about. Namely, there are some fights this weekend. We're going to begin to preview some of them. We're going to react to some of the stuff that happened over the weekend, plus some headlines floating around right now. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks to everyone who watched the instant reaction BC had on Saturday, as well as anybody who checked out his hosting duties and everything else for Friday and Saturday that he was involved over the Tank Davis and Roly Romero fights as well on the Showtime Sports uh, YouTube channel. <clears throat> Excuse me. Speaking of which, <clears throat> Showtime is the label that pays. Goodness. If you want to get a 30-day free trial, you can do that. Showtime.com. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. BC. I see uh, we're both wearing merch. I'm wearing Factory Town merch. You're wearing the co-host merch. But where can they get 
that merch, PC? Uh, you know, they, of course, can go to morningcombat.store, check in with RJ Dunkelmaker, tell him uh, uh, BC sent you, say hi. Uh, nothing new to report on this moment, but RJ's always cooking in that kitchen. Luke, we have the finest quality combat merch in the game today. You know, you'll, you'll find that out to be true or your money back. So take the Nesty plunge, if you will, on the old morningcombat.store. <laughs> And, uh, I don't, you know, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. You know what I'm saying? We Have we led you astray up to this point, Luke? Have we led them? Have Has there been a, a misstep? But, you know, R- Risen notwithstanding, Hasselhoff explosion notwithstanding. Have we ever led them the wrong way, Luke? Once again, there was no Hasselhoff explosion. There was a uh, detonated implosion, which is different. Um no, I don't think we have. I mean, listen, I don't know if they've loved everything we've put out, but I think what they have purchased, they have enjoyed. You know what I'm saying? I think that's the yeah. reality. Because what if they're you, actually if you purchasing buy it, you'll like it. Is, is joy, right? Hope, right? A New Hope, episode yeah. four. Exactly. You know what I'm hey, dude, did you watch um, the first two episodes of the Obi-Wan series yet? I did. I did watch it. I'm I one have... episode in with the boys, and uh, wow, heck yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, I have mixed feelings about it. Maybe we'll talk about that at the end of the show. I have a little. I, I liked a lot of it. I didn't like some of it. So okay. Um, and we'll talk and about... did you see the new Top Gun? Because Shab's been okay. saying it's it's fantastic, dude. <laughs> I have not seen it yet. My wife and I plan to see it on Friday. Everyone says that it's amazing. I'll tell you what. Here's how you know how good it is. The <laughs> The Navy and the Air Force are recruiting at showings of the movie in various sittings. That's how good it is. Because people come out so pumped for Americana yeah. that they might sign up to go serve in the military. So That's tells some you a lot Pat Tillman about. shit right there, Luke. I like that, right? A little bit. Not quite as brave as that, but still pretty good. Um, all right. So we have a lot to get to uh, beyond that. Oh, if you want to reach the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. By the way, BC, correct me if I'm wrong. Are we doing... Have you seen this shit today? I know we discussed that. Yeah, we got shit to see. Uh, hopefully, Gaff uh, Pierre, our fantastic producer, was able to acquire and put all that shit together. But I gave it, Luke. I'm ready. All right. All right. It's been it's been crowned and birthed. Let's do it. Let's look at it. Let's 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 you know churn through it to find the kernels of of. Uh, yeah, okay. This has uh, gone on way too long, and you're a <laughs> disgusting cochino person. All right. <laughs> you're truly the worst. Uh, okay. So we start with topic number one, which is while there, while there are some fun fights coming up this weekend, we're just sort of living through a sea of terrible MMA headlines. Paulo Costa, for example, allegedly striking a nurse over some COVID vaccine dispute, which we will not get into. But what we will talk about is some other headlines, BC. And I'm sort of wondering which one is the, you know, how do you say this? Which one is the least interesting that we're going to discuss or perhaps, I don't know, the most retread kind of bizarre? Let's start with this one. Uh, love Big John McCarthy, treasure to the sport, but I didn't, I didn't agree with this take at all. BC, Big John, I believe on his podcast, said that he wouldn't mind seeing Nick Diaz in a return to a UFC welterweight title fight. Quote, talking about a Diaz-Kumaru fight. Kumaru would stand with him until he starts getting lit up. Then he's going to go and use his wrestling, which he should. I'm not saying he shouldn't. I don't think that Kamara would be standing up against Nick that long. Now, BC, again, it must be a bit of a slow news week when we're sort of parsing the takes of our, <laughs> of our fellow, uh, you know, well, I wouldn't say Showtime brethren, but, you know, they obviously do good work on Showtime. Ne- oh, sorry, he said, no, the UFC title, okay, this is from Mikey. No, he said UFC title fight, not specifically welterweight. Then after the fact, he said it could be for the BMF. Okay, either way, it's a fight with Kamaru, just to be clear. BC, I got to tell you, I don't agree with that take at all. Do you? 
Uh, no, no. But to be fair to Big John, to a certain degree, the way the I think it was MMA Junkie sort of framed the his quote in a headline, it did make it seem like not only was John saying, "I want to see Nick get a title shot against Usman tomorrow," but him essentially saying that Usman's going to have to do a lot of wrestling because he doesn't want to stand and trade. Um, either way, you slice it, Luke. I, uh, it's a it's a pretty bad take in my opinion. I don't want Nick Diaz. Really anywhere near an octagon, which I know a lot of people disagree with, let alone a title fight. And do I believe that this version of him would force Kamara Usman to shoot? No. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> At all. Here, here's the real question that underpins this. It's two things. I don't think that people, because it's not just Big John, right? Like, I don't think people, it's weird. Kamaru is... Probably by most people's estimates, most insiders, most hardcores, right? By most of those accounts, Kumaru is probably your number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. And yet, there's a bit of a pervasive sense that you know he can strike but has to resort to the wrestling a la Habib, which doesn't really fully match the reality. On the other hand, BC, with Nick Diaz, and it's not just Nick. Like There's other guys, and we've kind of talked about this, but it rears its ugly head again, which is... The MMA fan base, and again, people were, you know, we should be clear, like a lot of people disagreed with this take, but there is this kind of sentiment about the Diaz brothers and a handful of other ones where there's a little bit of denial about them aging. Like in boxing, the instant someone begins to look a little bit old, there's almost a pile on with them, right? And it's like, oh, they're yeah. washed and they can't do anything. In MMA, it's almost like, no, 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 they can actually still do this. There's almost a denial in the other way. And it seems like either with Kamaru or with Nick, we're actually getting a little bit of both from both of them that I think is unfair in actually each direction. Yeah, I, w- I would say that's true. I mean, you know, you could that would be a take, Usman needing to wrestle to avoid standing with Nick, you know, maybe in 2000. 16, Luke? I don't know, 17? No. 2006. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, did 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 Camaro need to wrestle against Masvidal, who I would think is a danger, more dangerous striker at this point than Nick Diaz? No, he, he clearly didn't. He knocked him the, the fuck out, right, with one violent punch in the rematch. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think this is, whether intentional or not, a little bit of a a shot at the complete well-roundedness that Kamaru Usman has become, or if not completely well-rounded, meaning is his striking on the level of his wrestling? No, but boy, is his striking great, which is why Kamaru has right now the clean UFC record, the UFC championship, and the number one pound-for-pound stake, and knocking on the door under coach Trevor Whitman here in the second half of his career of really becoming an all-time great. Yeah, no, this is a this is a non-topic to me. Like, let's move on. I mean, what, what, dude... I don't know. I mean, could could Nick could that have just been a really bad night at at the office for Nick Diaz against Lawler? Out of shape, didn't want to be there. And he could do better. Sure. You want to give him another fight against a cowboy level guy? Sure, Luke. But what the hell are we talking about beyond that? I mean, really, what are we talking? Let, about let right me just here? ask this then. Let me just yeah, fine. Let me just ask this then because he has a fight with Leon coming up. Right, we don't know when. Dana White was asked about it on BT Sports, said they're just waiting to hear about his hand. Could be a while, we don't know. Who could Kamaru beat where people will be like, wow, we really need to rethink how we view this guy? Because if the issue of beating Masvidal, to your point, doesn't get him that, who, who can he defeat where there would be a change of opinion about his ability to strike at, not just range, but I mean for long 
term parts of a fight against other good strikers. Because if it doesn't do it against Jorge, yeah. Leon's probably going to be all different phases of the game. I'm not sure who the answer would be. Uh, the answers are either Hamzat Chimaev or Israel Adesanya Luke. I mean, if you, if you still don't believe in Kamaru right now, then I guess yeah. you have to see him against those two to really believe that his striking is where it is right now and his IQ and his ability to game plan and use his motor. Now, look, let's give Colby credit. Colby found a way to really push Kamaru twice at the highest level in two very close fights. But he didn't win either of them. Or can we can we be done doubting Usman? Not that I necessarily think that was the point of John's point. Big John could have just been sticking up for the Nick Diaz legacy, but we're not there anymore. You know, as you said, 2006. I mean, it's not even. It's not. I mean, dude, Nick Diaz is a ghost at this point. Yes. Agreed. All right. Which takes us, by the way, now to the second of our terrible MMA headlines. Jorge Masvidal says he is Conor McGregor's biggest check. Well, let's think about that. Didn't say toughest fight. Didn't say legacy defining. Said the biggest check. Here is what Connor had tweeted. I don't know what this was in reference to, but he had first tweeted, quote, an absolute pigeon brain this guy is, talking about Masvidal. Stupid beyond belief. Okay, again, I don't know what precipitated that, but you, you got it. Then Jorge responded, this pea brain, not the same as pigeon brain, but okay, is the biggest fight of your life, so you're either too scared or too stupid to get this check. So I guess he said biggest. BC, of the options, where I guess you could say Jake Paul would be one of them, not in the UFC, obviously, but, you know, among possibilities in the next couple of years. Nate Trilogy, Jorge, I guess Habib coming back. Where would you rank in terms of biggest, and I guess by that we'll say box office. Where does Jorge fit in as a biggest box office attraction for, as a dance partner, for Conor McGregor? I'd say still pretty high. I mean, obviously, you know, the luster of where Jorge was in that incredible 2019 has, you know, solid has worn off to a great degree. But to be fair, so has Conor's luster to a, to a large detail. So you really have to ask yourself what you just did. Of the available pay-per-view fights, and you know, it's, it's a good headline to have terrible MMA headlines because this is how sometimes we, and really most shows when there's nothing going on, what do we lean on? Oh, let's talk about who Conor's going to fight next. Right. When you look at it, Luke, I mean, if you, Nate is the lottery ticket you can cash in at any point. And I've always said that that's a timeless fight, meaning people will want it no matter where both of them are in their arc. And I do think that's true, but let's be realistic. Nate Conner 3 at this point isn't going to touch what they did in the first two fights. You know, both were, I believe, record breakers at the time, both above a million and a half buys. But, you know, Masvidal and Conner is more competitive in theory in our minds right now, maybe than it would have been a couple years ago. I know that Conor wants to fight at welterweight upon his return. This really does seem like a huge money fight. I, I'd prefer Ferguson first if you're going to do a softer UFC Conor comeback. I know some people keep bringing up Poirier's name. I want nothing to do with that fourth fight. Could that outsell Jorge? I don't think so. I think Jorge versus Conor right now of the traditional, natural, non-Habib coming back UFC matchups available. Luke, I think that's it. Now, if... UFC tried to be a little bit aggressive and crazy and put Conor right into an Usman title fight because of the idea of Conor going for a third title to be the first person, and especially under the circumstances of not remotely uh, deserving it. Could all of that conspire to that being a bigger fight? Potentially. But no, the Jorge, the trash talk, the guarantee of action. If you hate McGregor, the idea that he could legitimately get knocked cold in this one. Yeah, dude, that's, a, that's still a million plus buy where I come from. Do you agree with that? 
do I think Connor versus Jorge, if promoted correctly by both guys and the UFC, could that do a million buys? Yes. Yes, of course I believe that. Absolutely. I absolutely believe yeah. that. Now, I agree with you. If they got real daring and creative and said, you know what, we're going to give Connor the 170 welterweight title shot because whatever happens, we'll just go that direction. I think that would actually do more. I think that would, you know, weirdly, that fight would be, I don't think, that competitive, but it would be very box office lucrative. But this one is competitive. And BC, both of, not, both of you and I have agreed on one thing, which is you brought it up many times, which is we do believe that Connor has one more good, solid, very commendable win left in him, like a real, like, you know, no, no BS kind of ability here. Is, is that this one, or do you think this is like, easy for Connor. Where where no, would you rank no, this no, on no, no. difficulty for him? This is not an easy fight for Connor, but of the available potential big fights that Connor can come back to, short of Ferguson who seems a little weathered, is this winnable for Connor? I think absolutely. And what's right. weird, Luke, is, you know, post 2019 in the immediate aftermath when Jorge had raised his profile, us Dana White sort of saying, no, I don't know, Connor. Jorge seems a little too big. You could get hurt. But I think both have been, you know, weathered and watered down to a certain degree where this is a really big matchup. It would be entertaining as shit. And yes, this is a variable win- winnable fight. And if Connor did come back and win this fight, it wouldn't mean he's back, but it would certainly restore confidence in his selling power. And it might be a little bit like that one win Chuck Liddell had within that run of losses that ended his career. It was Vanderlei Silva. I could see Jorge and Connor going out there and putting on a really fun all action pay per view main event. And potentially Connor winning it and people caring. So I think that would probably be the direction for UFC unless, Luke, they want to go a little bit softer. And I think the Tony fight would be a, you know, a JV version of this, but would still sell and would still be plenty of action. But Luke, when you're talking about Connor, sometimes you do need to break glass and think of as creative a matchup as you possibly could. That's why I, you know, threw out Cejudo in the past when he was talking junk to Connor online. I know not a lot of people love that fight, Volkanovski. But how about this, Luke? Do you know who won't stop staying in ridiculously ripped shape and showing up on Instagram all the time, doing weird things like jumping into a cold pool in his backyard every morning, a tub of ice? I I do not know which female fighters you are watching on Instagram, no. (laughs) Well, we'll we'll, we'll revisit that topic on our uh, Patreon show later, Luke. But uh, look... You're gonna you're gonna hate this. This is gonna be like me you coming over my house for dinner and us go. I'm going. Hey, Luke. Guess what? We cooked hot dogs, right? Um, Connor versus GSP would still sell a shitload, Luke. It would still sell a shitload of pay per views. Dude, dude, GSP would probably still whip his ass, right? I'm not saying he wouldn't, but because of the age and the time away, one fight in the last what nine years, GSP, one fight in the last nine years. Dude, he's still ridiculously ripped and always preparing for something. I know Mikey Mormont jumping in, our producer, and, oh, he'll smoke Connor. Dude, he probably will. He'll probably take him down at will. But, Luke, you're talking about a break glass to try to sell pay-per-views under the heading of terrible MMA headlines. Connor versus GSP is a casual fan's wet dream who isn't following the UFC day-to-day anymore. Dude, that's a one-point... Five, even if it's not sold right. I'm telling you, dude, I know a lot about selling pay-per-views, Luke. They won't let me in that war room, but I'm viable. I agree that it would sell a lot, but it just seems radically impossible. Not not actually impossible, but something on the order of very close to it. Also, the other part is, like, again, if GSP took a big shot, he would just wrestle. Like, I think Connor. The one thing that Jorge and Nate both have going for them is, like, they're really probably not going to look for any kind of 
even clinch scenario, to be quite honest with you, not for a very long one, much less anything on the ground. I think Connor's looking for that. And by the way, Tony kind of presents something like that, although we know he can roll and whatnot, and so that's a little bit different. But at 155, Connor's still pretty nimble. Um, Jorge is valuable because it's a, at least in theory, a winnable fight. It's a stand-up fight, and it's a lucrative fight. Nate is on the same level. So why does a Jorge fight in your mind, maybe it doesn't, so let's clarify, what is the difference in sales? And we're speaking in a world where both are promoted correctly. What is the difference in sales between K- uh, Connor Nate 3 and Connor Jorge? That's the question to me. I don't think it would be significantly different. I think the Nate one sells better. You do? Okay. I, I would, I'm going to argue I think the Jorge one sells a little bit better, but you would have the history of the Nate-Connor rivalry, the fact that it always entertains, and the fact that both are in our minds kind of equal right now in terms of what they have left. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it could be six and one half dozen of the other between the two of them. I kind of like the Jorge one because I think people will come into that thinking Connor's going to get, going to get, you know, handled. And there's a, certainly a lot of Connor hate that goes into buying these pay-per-views as well. But as long as we can agree, Luke, that Poirier shouldn't be in this conversation. And I know you're saying forget about GSP because it doesn't seem like George would want it because there's no real history assigned to it. I don't know, dude. I'm telling you, man. That shit's a, 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 you know, balls bonanza. That shit sells, Luke. That shit would sell more than any of these other fights. But It would. I'm not, I'm not saying it wouldn't. I'm not saying it wouldn't. It would. But for the guy who wanted Habib, this seems like a weird fight to come back to. It's like the guy's been off for a long time because he had a terrible, terrible injury. And then before that, hasn't looked great. Uh, you're going to come back to, granted, a much older, but still, like, in, I've, been, I've been seeing him train with, like, the Danaher squad. Like, dude, GSP is, as you know, still in tremendous physical condition. So what do you think he's training for, to be to be fair? We know he got shot down on that De La Hoya boxing attempt, and uh, what is he, still a year out from his UFC deal expiring, uh, you know, in that draconian sort of, uh, I don't understand how this is legal sort of way? Yeah. What the hell's GSP, I mean, is he going to make a karate combat? Uh, appearance what the hell's gonna happen with gsp here yeah karate combat it's the thing it's like oh i well, i won't say but either way um <laughs> with with gsp i think partly maybe to stay in shape because a he just likes training i mean i'm serious about that not the kind of crazy fight shape that we sometimes see but you know like the guy loves the lifestyle that came with being an mma fighter in general so there's partly that also i think like with hollywood you know having a really good you know, being in shape, being good at physical condition, which he doesn't have to train like MMA for to get, but, you know, it's obviously a great way to get there. Um, and then I, th- I do think he has designs on one more combat sports experience beyond just like going into doing maybe doing like a minimum, you know, what the equivalent of who, who's number one, like, uh, you know, a pro grappling match. I still think he has a sight set on another MMA fight or another or a boxing fight. Uh, and then also Hollywood. I think between those two competing interests, it's keeping him in the gym quite candidly. Yes. I believe right. that. Um, thank you for being candid. I appreciate that. There we go. Uh, but uh, the point I'm trying to make here is I don't know where Connor's going to go with this, but it is interesting to me that Jorge is now sort of like actively um, petitioning for a B-side role, right? I mean, it sort of tells you about his stock. Now, his stock is still extremely high relative to the rest of the UFC population, but relative to what it was, where then he was fielding the incoming traffic about what to do. Now he's positioning himself as the incoming traffic for fighters of higher status. Granted, there's only not many who are going to be that one, but certainly in this case it would be true. 
and I, I do think it's an acknowledgement of his advancing age, obviously, and then the and it's it's an internal acknowledgement about his still elevated but relatively declined place in the power rankings. Is that a fair assessment to you? I think that's a fair assessment uh, uh, as well. And Luke, you know, my pay per view marketing brain just came up with another idea for a pay per view doubleheader. I would just want I just want to get one word response from you to this, okay? Your main your your co main event, Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz. Your main event, Conor McGregor versus Nick Diaz. It's sloppy as shit, Luke. But, you know, the idea is that, you know, the winners face off against each other in the next pay-per-view. You in, Luke? You in on that? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Gosh, I don't even know how that... I, I haven't even thought about much of Nick Diaz versus Connor. I'd have to think about that for a second. That also feels like a... Boy, only the brain of Brian. They really should hire you, but not really at UFC. They should hire you at like Yama Pit or KSW yes. or something. Yes. By the way, we didn't even talk about it. We didn't even put it on the rundown. Did you see uh, uh, Marius Pujanowski win a KSW over the weekend uh, with that uppercut? Not only did I see it, Luke, you're going to see it later on. Have you seen this shit? So Can I make up, one bro. point about that in a serious manner just for one second? If you're going to try to match him with Fedor, is that really where you're going with this? <laughs> no, but dude, your brain is on fire today. You're like, yo, what are some fucking disgusting car crashes we can put together? Uh, in all seriousness, I want folks to think about this for a second. Now, he did not have like a super decorated MMA career, but he got pretty good at it. Like that, that uppercut he landed was a fake from an overhand right, then he went to the uppercut. The guy didn't see it coming. He put his lights out. He's done pretty well in MMA, all things considered. Now, I don't know his current, let's say, vitamin regimen, BC, but certainly to compete in World's Strongest Man, and he had his issues, by the way, there. You know, you have to take drugs to compete in World's Strongest Man at the heavyweight level. There's just no other way. It's, not, it's literally not even humanly possible to compete with him without it. And certainly, you look at his physique these days, he is almost certainly using. Here's the point I would like to make. A, I don't see any fans in any kind of uproar about what kind of horrible example he is for the sport. They're total hypocrites when they talk about drugs and sport. But more to the point, BC... When people say there's no room for drugs in sport, motherfuckers, Marius Pujanowski has had an entire career on the back of drugs in two sports, one of which he's an all-time great in. The other one he is actually pretty good in. He has had an entire career off of drugs. Yeah. He's won five in a row in the last few years all by knockout. But, Luke, uh, it's funny you would bring up Pujia because one of his former opponents made headlines this morning, and I didn't want to bring it up because it's gross, but we are doing a segment called Terrible MMA Headlines to lead out of our show. So former MMA and boxing star Eric Butterbean Esch at 55 oh, is back in good shape 
and has called out Jake Paul to box Luke. You, do, do, uh, do you care, Luke? Okay. You know what, dude? Old Butterbean was, what did they call him? King of the Four Rounders? Is that what yes. they called him? Yes, they did. Yes, dude, they Old did. Butterbean, I'll tell you what. You know, obviously he wasn't built for greatness. But if you were in any way a little bit washed, he would send you to the land of wind and ghosts with a quickness, would he not? Well, do you happen to remember, I know you didn't care much, but do you remember around like WrestleMania 14 or 15 in the late 90s, they did that Brawl for All tournament, which was like unscripted. It was like a boxing slash wrestling MMA hybrid. Vaguely, yes. And they got all their journeyman wrestlers, tough guys together. So the winner got to box Butterbean for real at WrestleMania, and the winner was this guy named Bart Gunn. Luke, please watch that highlight after this show's over. Like, Vince McMahon and company almost sanctioned a killing in the middle of their fake wrestling ring because uh, he sent that man to hell. Butter, but, uh, Butterbean Luke, fucked him up? Oh, my God. It was the most... It was the most. Vi- it's probably the second most vicious knockout punch of all time, with the first being that one that uh, Ann Wolf, the female boxer, did to that tall white chick. You know what I'm talking about? If yes. you haven't seen that one, Google that one as well. But, uh, that, yeah. I mean, look, you know, Butterbean versus dude, Jake, Jake Paul. Dude, Jake at least, Paul versus Butterbean? I, I got to tell you, I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of I mean, fucking into it. <laughs> we always say pick on somebody your own size. There you go. All right. Yeah. Dude, that is such a great idea. Butterbean. He used to fuck people up back. He, he fought oh, in yeah. Pride a couple of times as well. The Japanese didn't really know what to dude, do with him. Dude, he fought but... in the Yama pit, bro. Yeah, he did. Dude, I'll I tell you what, he could punch his ass off. If nothing else, he could punch and take a punch. That was about it. Um, but what, all right. What do you think so, his CT is, is like at, at 55, Luke? Who cares? What is he doing? Making grills? and is he, He's like a low-budget George Foreman where he's probably got... <laughs> You know, in the in the Southwest, some kind of, you know, outdoors fucking whatever sponsor that he does for either grilling or barbecue sauce or whatever the fuck. God bless him. I hope he's making a bunch of money. That dude provided a lot of entertainment. And it was always like, yo, could your fat uncle beat Butterbean? And it was like, no, dude, Butterbean would send your fucking fat uncle to the to the hospital. Like for a big old fat dude, he could he could fight a little bit. He was pretty good. Yeah. You remember when Larry Holmes came out of retirement at like fifty to outbox Butterbean? That was that was an interesting match. Right is that there. did that happen? Yeah, it did. It did. Who won? Larry Holmes by decision. Yeah. How long? Wait, how many rounds? Do you remember that? I think it was eight or ten. Yeah. See, you can't ask Butterbean to go past four or five. I mean, that's all he's got. You know, he's Vince Wilfork. It's like, you know, I got a little bit for you when the defense or whatever has to play, but or offense anyway. But uh, all right. Um, you got any other terrible headlines, Luke? Yeah, I got one more. Let's go through this stupid. Do we even want to talk about this TJ Dillashaw versus Dominic Cruz stupid story? Do you care? I don't really care. Yeah, I care a little because, you know, I'm a, I'm a Killershaw super fan, so I care a little. All right. So TJ Dillashaw, I think it was on Shout Store Boys. I think it was on Submission Radio he did this uh, interview. And in it, he talks about Dominic Cruz. Now, Dominic Cruz had said some things about him uh, either negatively or perhaps in other ways you know, dismissively. And here's what Cruz's comments were. Quote, this is from a different show, but this is what Cruz had said. He was suspended for cheating, so to get a title shot after one win, okay, cool, Cruz said. Sounds like a hookup to me. He got two years off, didn't really lose any money, and then just gets right back in the title picture. Yeah, that's exactly how it should be. He served his sentence. He beat a top contender. Problem solved, but okay. Dillashaw responds, quote, (laughs) He sounds like a salty cunt, to be honest. I think he's just (laughs) obviously jealous of me being able to stay in the top with my layoff. And how long I've been in the sport. Dude, we got to interview Butterbean now that you brought it up. I really want to talk to Butterbean. 
Um, can we get him on the couch? He may he may sink in and not come back, Luke. That's fine. That. We have an in-house guy. We can just, like, Butterbean could just whip his ass. <laughs> How long I've been in the sport and me still being able to come back and prove that I'm still the best. I did lose money. Me not fighting for two years while being a champion is losing out on a lot of money from my pocket. If I keep racking up the wins, getting title defenses, I mean, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars, I let slip through my fingers because I made a fucking stupid mistake. So, yeah, I paid my time. I came back. And fucking grinded to get the win on fucking one leg and one eye, and there's nothing you can do to deny me. That's my. That's it. It's my title shot. So like I said, he's just being salty, and that's kind of his personality anyways. He's an unlikable dude. I've always respected him, and I think he's got a good eye for stuff, but he's got like this chip on his shoulder where he feels everything's owed to him, and he's just always complaining about shit. BC, your reaction? I would guess this is Dominic Cruz trying to be savvy and getting a, a big money rematch here because we know that... Uh, It'll still a little bit of a bottleneck atop this title picture, Luke. Aljo breakthrough win. Is Cejudo going to come back? Is is it going to be Dillashaw versus Jose Aldo next? Is one of them going to get the title shot and the other one's going to be the next one looking out? Either way, this could be a good opening. And obviously these two have history, having had that title fight, the split decision over five rounds in Boston a few years back. And Luke, if you can recall, and I know you can, I think they kind of, I wouldn't say robbed, but I think they got the score wrong in that one, giving Cruz the comeback win, which was a you know a, a very inspirational and feel good win. But what I always, you know, had issue with was making Till- Dillashaw go the two year route to get back into title contention to get another shot to regain his crown, and he did. And more power to him. If he's not going to get the next title shot upon comeback of injury, and if he's not going to get some bigger fight in terms of the thought of mental competition here. If I'm, if I'm matchmaking my head, him versus Aldo is a better fight. But Dominic Cruz still's got a lot left in the tank, Luke. You know, I could get talked into watching them do the do the footwork dance for three to five rounds. I'm, I'm kind of into it if we've got nowhere else to go. So if this is Dom Cruz being smarter than us, right? He came out, called out DC, got him to watch more tape, came out, called out Keith Peterson, got him to stop smelling like hooch and hookers. I think he's smarter than us, Luke. So I think Dom Cruz is onto something here. Yeah, but who has interest in seeing T.J. Dillashaw, Dom Cruz, too? Me, like, if, if if he can't get Aljo or or uh, Aldo, 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 Aljo or Aldo. You, you think, okay, I agree with you that the first fight, I, I think I did score it for Cruz, but I recognize it was razor thin, easily could have gone the other way, no issue there, fine. Dude, that was a while ago. That is not at all relevant. And the fact that he got a win over Sandhagen the way he did, like gutted it out through injury, multiple forms of injury, tells me they're in very different places in their career. Although I admit, obviously, Cruz has maintained a level of success that is certainly admirable at a different level. I don't know how competitive the rematch would be. You you think it's competitive? Well, no. Look, at this point, if it was thought of to be kind of a pick coming into the first one, although I don't want to say kind of because there was still some doubt Cruz coming back after that long layoff and all that, but no, you'd favor TJ Dillashaw. He seems to be in the better form, but he's also, Luke, coming off of injury, not young, had the, you know, like had the, all the things that Dom is talking about. I think it's a, it's a very nice competitive old guy fight with a good backstory, again, if TJ can't cash in on bigger opportunities. I think if TJ loses against a bigger opportunity, you could run, run that one back because you're right. Sure. What is what is TJ? Thirty five. I mean, he, you're right. He's he's getting up there. Thirty five is an old place to be at 135 pounds. So you're right that the clock is ticking. And if he can't really maximize it, then fine, I'd be happy. But but if there is some kind of big fight out there 
that they are able to make. And of course, I do think he has earned it. He he did his time. He he served it. Like this is the one thing that always bothers me about these like uh, PED suspensions. It's like, dude, that's the punishment. The punishment is not oh, it's a year or two off, and then now you have to then go to the back of the line deal with all other forms of ridicule. You have to wait much longer than everyone else. Like the punishment was the two years. Once that is served, you're done. You can go back to what you were. And I'll I'll remind everyone, yes, he lost to Henry Cejudo at 125, but no one ever took the 135-pound belt from him. They put him back in a number one contenderish fight against Sandhagen, and he won it. And he won it pretty cleanly, actually, in the end, ultimately. So, So my point being is, this, this idea that, like, oh, he served his time and it's all back there, this is unfair. It's the definition of fair. He waited his time. He won a fight. That's, that's exactly how the system is supposed to work, at least in theory, I believe. So, just want to point that out. Yeah, um, all right, BC, let's talk to num- topic number two here. We do have the UFC back in action this weekend. It's hilarious. Half of the questions I, I ever get in my email and my live chat is, why are these cards so watered down? And then on Saturday, no UFC was trending on Twitter. It's like, y'all got to make up your minds about what you want. But okay, they're back this weekend. UFC fight night, Volkov versus Rosenstrike. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I'm going to say Rosenstrike. Uh, that is your main event. It's a heavyweight main event. BC, there was a really interesting tweet from Richard Mann. That, or excuse me, not tweet. There was a piece in his um, article that he wrote that I shared with everyone. Here's how it looks. This is what he wrote. It was a very, very clear assessment of what makes Rosenstrike successful versus not. This is what he writes. Quote, During his UFC run, Rosenstrike has excelled when given the time and space to land his power shots. He lands 1.05 knockdowns per 15 minutes of fight time, which is 20th best among all ranked fighters. He has landed a knockdown in all six of his victories and failed to land a knockdown in all three of his losses. He is also undefeated at 4-0 in bouts where he has not allowed an opponent any control time, while he is only 2-3 when an opponent registered any control time. Not a lot of mystery about how to beat this guy, is it? No, there's not. And look, this is a top-10 matchup. It's good. Both kind of need a big win here to either stay in or, or advance further into the title picture. Luke, I'm still a little bit surprised... At the, I'm still a lot of bit surprised, to be fair, at the ease in which Volkov lost to Aspinall. So when I look at Volkov versus Rosenstruck, given the history of how both have fared when they did step up against the highest level, you know, I certainly like Volkov's game a lot more. His consistency, his plus side. But, Luke, I was wrong. Not just that Aspinall would win that fight, but that he would, he would smoke him. I mean, look, your UK boy, Aspinall, fucking smoked my guy. He did. Uh, so, you know, I think that does add a little more intrigue to me to see, you know, who is Rosenstruck? Is he going to end up being a guy who's raw and powerful and can look great against the aging names but can't beat the contemporaries? Well, I think this is that opportunity for him to arguably, you know, short of stopping Overeem, although, you know, last chapter Overeem could be a little hit or miss in that run. Short of that, this this would be the biggest win in Rosenstruck's rise and I think one that he would badly need but X's and O's head-to-head, I wouldn't favor him in this one, Luke. I'm interested to see where the odds are at. Uh, I have not looked up the odds, but I think it's worth reminding ourselves about Volkov's capability here. Now, I don't think in, the, in terms of the control time conversation, it doesn't seem likely, BC. I think you would agree because he's got a height and reach advantage. He's going to spend a lot of time looking for takedowns or maybe even the clinch. I, I tend to think he's going to want to strike at distance. But even at striking at distance, it turns out the numbers heavily favor 
uh, Alexander Volkov. I mean, listen to his. This are his only UFC losses, right? These are just the losses. Derek Lewis, which you know is an amazing win for Derek, but he was losing that fight. It's it's literally statistically the greatest UFC comeback in history. Okay, so there's that. Two Curtis Blades, which Curtis won that fairly, but you know he struggled towards the end of that fight with all the wrestling and whatnot, and and Volkov made it difficult for him. Cyril gone. Okay, Cyril beat him fair and square. Whatever. And then Tom Aspinall more recently. Those are his only four losses. In three of those cases, you have people who have claimed to have been, or will be anyway, number one contenders. The Derek Lewis fight, not going to call it fluky, but you know, probably at most times if they fought, you would favor Volkov to win. And then in between there, BC, he beat Overeem, Verdum, Struve, and Tybora, among others. Dude, that's a very, very competitive heavyweight. That's a very, very good heavyweight. The only guys who have beaten him are the ones who are really ascended to the very, very top of that division. If you're not that guy, you're probably not going to beat him. So this is a real clear question about, for Rosenstruck or Rosenstrike, again, however it's probably pronounced, this is a real clear question for him about which guy are you? Are you a guy yeah. that we can actually point to as saying you're a potential title threat? or are you? He's, like, he's almost Volkov, BC. He's almost... Something like the heavyweight RDA. Very different fighters, but in terms of what a win over him means, right? That's sort of what it means here. You beat Volkov, you're off to the races. If not, you know, you're going to just, you, you can beat other good fighters, but you're never going to get to the top of that division. Yeah, I, I thought heading into that Aspinall fight that Volkov was the worst of the elite heavyweights in the game. You know, maybe Aspinall took his spot, and now we're down here. But I think when you look at this matchup, what you have to like about it are the close odds. I looked him up, plus 135, Rosenstruck, the slight underdog, minus 160, Volkov. But this, to me, you know, gives you the opportunity where the loser's going to prove that he's the elite gatekeeper of the division, and the winner's going to have that chance to to crack that upper upper core uh, of title-contending heavyweights. So good matchup, Luke. Uh, I am interested to see, can Rosenstruck give us a different gear? Because if you if you strike from distance against Volkov, you're going to have issues. I don't think Volkov is going to, you know, it has a suspect chin or anything, although Rosenstruck certainly hits hard. But we're going to have to see an aggressive, you know, uh, multi-talented Rosenstruck here. He's going to have to show us some different things, Luke. Because if you just follow Volkov around, you know, Espinal took him down and subbed him like that. I don't think that's in Rosenstruck's game. No, I, I would agree with you there. Also, your co-main event, BC, probably a better fight than the main event, to be honest with you. At 145, Dan Ige is back, taking on Movsar Evloev, or Evloev. I'm not sure he probably pronounced his last name either. Now, Dan Ige, BC, is a guy who has clearly come a long way in his career but the, he's lost three of his last four. Now, the caveat to that is here are the three guys he has lost to. By the way, he, in a row, beat Mike Santiago, Jordan Griffin, Danny Henry, Kevin Aguilar, Mirsad Bektich, and Edson Barboza. Fantastic run. Then, subsequent to all that, he lost three of his last four. He lost to Calvin Cater. Then he beat Gavin Tucker. Stopped Gavin Tucker, by the way, in round one in 22 seconds. And then he lost to Chan Sung Jung via decision and Josh Emmett via decision. So it's not like he's getting super blown out, BC, but he has been against the very top of the guys. Same, similar kind of situation we're talking about with the main event. Just coming up short against the top-ranked title contenders, number one, number two contender guys. Evloev is undefeated. How do you size this one up? What, 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 what do you really see as possible in either case? Yeah, I like this fight a lot for, for, for everything you just laid out there, where Ige you know, was one of those... I don't want to call him a star of the pandemic because we knew about him before there. He didn't come on the scene like a Hamzad or a, 
or, uh, you know, uh, Billy Q. Like, you know, shout out to everyone that used Kevin Holland, everyone that used that weird 2020 to sort of make their name. Well, Ige also rose during that time, but you mentioned it, Luke. When he steps up, he's had an issue. And even though he had that nice win streak, including the win over Barbosa, those last two wins were by split decision. Luke, I've been hard on Ige, even though, like, I love his style. He's hungry. He's a great interview. Like, I love a lot about Ige. But the reason why I'm hard on him, Luke, is he fights a very aggressive puncher's style and I don't think he's a puncher on this level. So that can, you know, that that's the kind of style where against more evenly matched competition, he can stop some of these guys. He can overcome some of these guys. He's got a motor. He puts himself in harm's way. He goes after it. But against the elite, when you don't have that same finishing power, it can get you into trouble. I don't know a ton about his opponent in this case. And certainly through your various trials of trying to pronounce names, we should probably consider hiring John Anik just to get a lot of these Probably. names right in real time. But, Luke, when you look at Movsar Evloev, which, you know, that was either Charday or Sade, depending on how much <laughs> I nailed that, he is unbeaten, Luke, in the UFC and is 15-0 overall and has had a good run of beating at least names you've heard of to get to this point. This is his opportunity to really start to get himself noticed, and it's not like Ige's going to roll over for him, but, Luke, I've always questioned Ige's UBL, if you will. If we can put that on a t-shirt over a navel. Upper Osama bin Laden? Upper bound (laughs) limits, Luke. Um, I do think he's closer to the ceiling of his UBL, and we've seen him sort of, you know, max out. This is his chance to prove me wrong. But, Luke, if if that other guy is coming on, this is going to be a good matchup. This is going to be a very, very good matchup. Can you tell me anything about that other guy's game, Luke? He is, is he very just... well. Re- he is very well rounded. He can he can really wrestle quite well. Good. He's solid everywhere. I wouldn't say he's like um, a Habib or Islam type where they can do it all, but then they clearly have one part of their game that is just sort of this dominant, unstoppable force. He, although he is quite good at wrestling and ground pound and control, but he's also very good at measuring and having a very. Um, uh, you know, careful striking affair. He can he can do basically everything, but I wouldn't call him an ace with any one particular style. I mean, consider these are his UFC wins, BC. Uh, Seung Woo Choi was his UFC debut. He won it via decision. Enrique Barzola, he won it via decision. Mike Grundy, he won it via decision. Nick Lentz, tough fight, split decision win, but nearly, you know, got very close. And then Hakeem Duadu, he won via decision as well. This guy can do a lot. He can beat good fighters, but as you see against the UFC level, he has not been able to score a finish yet, and Dan Ige is very, very tough to finish. I actually feel like this is the toughest fight by far of uh, Evloev's UFC career. Dan Ige has fought much better guys than him, uh, not beaten them per se, but I do think this is a very, very winnable fight for Dan Ige, provided, of course, that you know he's obviously in the right space and has the right um, game plan going into it with Eric Nixick, he probably will and should. So to me, yeah. this is a this is a coin flip because Ige probably doesn't. Well, I don't know what Ige's true upside is, but Ige has not has not been able to advance past a certain level yet. But I think if you can beat a guy like this, even though he also hasn't advanced past that, this other guy is careful enough and can manage enough variables in a fight. I think to get pretty far. I think Ige has a little bit more firepower, a little bit more dog in him. He's going to need to make the fight on those terms in order to win. Well, he's got the dog. I do question his firepower at times, but Luke... um, He stopped Gavin Tucker in the first round. Okay. I don't think Gavin Tucker is a super elite, though. No no disrespect. But I will tell you this. As we look at the odds, Luke, though, Vegas does not agree with you on the idea of it being virtually a pick They've got a minus 400 Evloev 
betting favorite at the so moment. E, so I can understand that because Ige's wrestling has been a little bit of a trouble spot for him, but I do think it's steadily improved. I think it's, listen, I think it's probably fine to favor the Russian here. It's probably fine. I would say that minus 400 is a bit strong. I think that Ige's upset potential relative to that is higher than um, the, what the odds uh, make it out to be. I'll put it that Luke, way. Can I create a new segment here that sometimes I do, but I'd like to make it a consistent one Uh-oh. where I look at each it, card and give you the BC stamp of approval on the super sloppy special, the triple S, Luke? Yes. Because there is it. a oh, super, no, 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 no. super sloppy the, I, special. I know what you're about to say. I know, Jose, I know what your gross on, piece of shit ass is about to say. I can't hear you. Let me tell you what the let me tell you what the BC special is. This is the Brian Campbell Windows in or uh, Chrome Incognito <laughs> special. Felice Herrick versus Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Did I nail it or did the I nail rematch. it? The rematch, yes. So, Luke, at its core, there's a lot of reasons why I love this fight, okay? Number one, yeah, it's, 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 the, it's likely to say goodbye to one or both of them from that original strawweight class of 115, right? The tough season, the original strawweight title contenders, which Kovalkiewicz became one, although Felice Herrick never quite got there, but she's been around forever. Luke, they fought in 2018. Carolina got a split decision, but here's the circumstances entering this. Carolina, 37 on a five-fight losing streak. Herrig 36, or I'm sorry, Herrig 37, Carolina 36, but Herrig on a three-fight losing streak, including that loss to Carolina. Luke, if I if you've never seen a WWE-style loser leaves town match, you got one right here. Um, I got a lot of respect for both of these fighters. They've they've given a lot to the game, but both are in the in the end of that twilight. Um, I'm gonna be tuned in 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 ready, Luke. But I got I got doubts for both of them. But I don't know if you follow Felice on Instagram, Luke. But she's in insane shape for this one. So if, I if saw her. What what fight was she last in Brooklyn for? We I. I it was this you know what i think it was the same day that connor chucked the dolly at the bus yes i did the media day for that and i remember seeing her in person and i was blown so that away. was the carolina fight that was, that was the, the first, first time one. they fought yes yeah and, and she was in bonkers shape for that yes. too and, and that was the first of her three consecutive defeats that 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 sort of created this slide and look you know they're 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 lovable fan favorites they 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 fight hard they've been great ambassadors for the sport in this division by the way luke that that carolina fight snapped a three fight i'm sorry four fight win streak for herrig and it's been downhill since so um yeah luke uh, you know we're going to say goodbye to one maybe both but uh, you know i love them it's 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 hard to see it's hard to see our heroes go away luke but you know they're going to get you know Maybe maybe I romanticized that a little bit too much, but uh, but uh, you know I'll, I'll be ready for it. It'll be sloppy. But dude, did you no no disrespect here? But when Carolina fell off, it was like uh, it was like you know Baron Barrow levels of falling off. It was oh it was over and it was over, Luke, and it was over. Yeah, it, well, sometimes when it goes, it goes. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, also on this card, BC. I don't know if this is a Brian Campbell special, but it's certainly a fun fight to pay attention to. It opens the card, as a matter of fact. Aaron Blanchfield taking on J.J. Aldrich. Uh, I have to tell you, that is a very fun fight. Aaron Blanchfield obviously coming into this fight 8-1. and one. Uh, Her last fight over Miranda Maverick, which was a totally deserved win. J.J. Aldrich, by the way, I think is on a three. Let me double-check this. Three or four-fight win streak? Yeah, three-fight win streak. Courtney Casey, Vanessa Demopoulos, and then Jillian Robertson. Hello. Those are some very solid wins. Both can wrestle if they need to. That's going to open the card. That's a very fun card opener. Very good fight. Yeah, Blanchfield only 23, Luke, and you mentioned that last victory, which was an eye-opener because of how aggressive her ground and pound and and grappling was. Uh, I think she's someone to watch. It's coming 
coming on uh, without question. And, you know, J.J. Aldrich is a tough out, trains regularly with Rose Namajunas up there in Colorado and, and has been good. But I think this is a really strong opportunity for Blanchfield to potentially get another somewhat notable name on her resume and keep climbing in this flyweight division, which has a quicker path to the title potentially, but we're looking for anybody with a pulse at 125, right? We're also looking, Luke, for Tatiana Suarez to one day fight again. I know we say that depending on which week we can remember her name, but damn, do I want to see her in this title contending uh, division and, and climbing that ladder, but we'll see what happens there. But no, we need more names here. This is a good fight to watch. Uh, shout out to our producers grabbing Aaron Blanchfield B-roll here. Look at this, Luke. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I don't know how they did that, but they, they can do it. Um... Yeah, wow. she won this one cleanly. So that's a really great, that's a great, great fight to open the weekend. Okay, BC, let's get to it now. You t- you were there on Saturday. You previewed the fight. You did the weigh-ins. You did the the prelims and everything else with Stack and and J Rock. I saw that, and then you did the post-fight instant reaction for Javante Davis KOing basically Rolando Romero inside the sixth round. Now it says here on our rundown. You would like my opinion. I'll give it to you in just a second. But just as a very basic, basic, encapsulated recap, what was your biggest takeaway from Tank's win? Yeah, it's certainly not surprising. Tank was a monster favorite. We knew the disparity in skill had the potential to be huge. This was a spectacle because of the trash talk, but it was also one of those unique fights where you got a big dude in Romero and a big slugger. And Luke, I got to say, even though it played out predictable, I really loved what I saw from Roly Romero, not only winning the promotion of this fight to get so many people to care, and maybe it was just perfect timing that this was the only game in town for combat sports this weekend. There was no MMA, so I did see a lot of you know you have that UFC fan base sort of take a look because Gervonta's star power brings you in there. But Luke, this was a sellout. A new arena record for, for Barclays in terms of boxing, over 18,000. And, dude, Gervonta was welcomed like a conquering, returning hero. But yet, I don't know, dude. Maybe I'm just, a, maybe I just, something about his charm and weirdness I've grown accustomed and, and, and a liking to. But I thought Romero kind of showed out early. I like that he added some craft and nuances to his game for a couple rounds there, Luke. And okay, in the end, maybe two and a half rounds, but for two and a half rounds, Romero lowered the output of Gervonta and made this interesting. He was big. He he threw in some feints. He landed some big shots early. Gervonta afterwards was like, man, this guy can punch. Look, the, the disparity in skill in the end, it was what it was. And let's give Gervonta credit. He waited for the opening, let Romero, you know, kind of come off of his heels, rushing forward, and he walked right into that perfect left that, that ended the fight right there. But my biggest takeaway is, Gervonta is that dude. He is that star. I mean, dude, did you see Madonna was in the crowd, Luke? I mean, her, her face looked like a looked like a leather handbag, unfortunately, Luke. But, uh, you know, it, when I say Gervonta brings out the stars, I mean it. They were out in, for, in force for this one, including Madonna, of all people. So, you know, my takeaway is, as expected, yes. But, dude, it was a fun spectacle to get here. And this crowd, this boxing fan base... They love them some Tank Davis. Does he have hiccups outside the ring and you can question and criticize? Of course, yes. He's working on that. He's maturing, though. But he delivers pretty much every time out. And Luke, per capita, I don't know if they just don't have rules for it, 
But the Barclays Center, there's no other arena in this world where at, where where that many people openly smoke weed. I mean, it is a it is just a. You want to know my real biggest takeaway? Shout out to the Barclays because when you look out there, it's not like oh that guy over there. No, it's every third person is sparking a J. But uh, g- good times were had in the end, Luke. But no, I'm not going to sit here and say we learned a ton. Gervonta exceeded expectations. No, Roley came to fight. He tried. He got sent, Luke. BC, let me ask you a question because this will answer how I felt about it. What is Gervonta's day? What is Gervonta Davis's best win, and why is it his best win? Okay. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a slam dunk one. So that's, when you see, do, that's where I'm headed with this one. Go ahead. So look, when he knocked out Jose Pedraza to win the to win a title in in, in what 130 pounds, yep. dude, that's an absolutely legit win. And he dominated his knockout of. Of of uh, Leo Santa, Santa Cruz. Cruz. Yep. I know people are going to say Santa Cruz was kind of coming up in weight. He was, but Santa Cruz, who had won titles in in four divisions, he had just moved up to one thirty and won a title, right? Against against Flores, so he's absolutely legit. Santa Cruz was on the edge of the pound for pound list. Gervonta went down in weight to make that fight. It was a pay per view, and oh by the way, he scored the knockout of the year with a vicious uppercut. So you got to put respect on that win rather than what everybody does and go, oh Santa Cruz was too small. But Luke, the third one is a little bit sneaky, dude. That Mario Barrios win was really good. Barrios is a 140 pounder who was unbeaten. Gervonta moved up in weight for the first time to that weight class and went there, and they had an action fight, and he stopped them late. I mean, those three, I think, are very good, but does he have a consistent stretch of great wins? No. Gervonta Davis, despite all the commercial accolades, despite him knocking on that door, that pound-for-pound list, no, Luke. Uh, To some degree, there's a lot of unanswered questions in and around 135 in terms of, is Gervonta the best in show? Well, the only way to find out is to see him fight all those guys. Okay, I'm going to read, though. This is the current ranking, so obviously, take it for what it's worth. These are from ESPN. They're going to have their own way of ranking people. They obviously have a relationship with top rank. That could factor in. Just want to be clear. But this is who they have as their top 135-pounders. They have George Cambosis, Lomachenko, Gervonta sitting at three. Again, you can debate that or whatever. Devin Haney at four. Lopez Jr. at five. Ryan Garcia at six. Joseph Diaz at seven. Isak Cruz at eight, excuse me. Richard Comey at nine. And then Javier Fortuna uh, obviously sitting up there uh, at 10. Now, Javier Fortuna is going to fight uh, Ryan Garcia coming up, if I'm not mistaken. So Isak Cruz would be the only name on that list that he's fought at 140 pounds, which I realize, you know, is not necessarily his best weight, but let's just put it out he there. He only fought at 141, so you can't really I understand. Make I understand. Sense. You go to 132, but either way, or 130 as well, I should say. But it's Jack Catterall, Josh Taylor, Jose Ramirez, Regis Progre, Jose Zapeta, Arnold Barboza, Subriel Matias, Gary Antoine Russell, uh, Jose Pedraza, which is the one you're talking about, and then Montana Love. And then again, real quickly, at 130, Shakur Stevenson, Rakamov, Oscar Valdez, Jamel Herring, who's now retired, Roger Gutierrez, Kenichi Ogawa, Leo Santa Cruz, Hector Luis Garcia, Chris Colbert, and then Hobson Concesal. So BC, you can pick out three names, one from each of the weight classes, and in each case, they're at the bottom, either nine or seven or eight in the weight class. This is my point about this. Romero overachieved, in my opinion, because I thought he actually started out pretty smart. He was using a lot of feints. He is a good athlete, quite obviously. And it was giving Tank a little bit of problems. I would also say, and you heard Tank Davis acknowledge this after the fight, Romero can thump. He can, he can hit hard. I mean, there's, there's simply no denying it. And I think Tank Davis got a little bit of a wake-up call. So... I thought this was going to be an absolute massacre for Tank Davis. Wasn't that. Romero fought better than I thought. But in the end, the difference in quality was way too high. 
for someone like Romero to over to to achieve long term because Tank Davis is not just a good athlete. I've made this point before. Who can hit hard? He's a good boxer. He's clever, and he timed him on the half beat because he kept going back to the well with that left hook, and he just timed it in between, leaned off, and 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 that was all she wrote. He needed one punch to simply set him on his ass and stop the fight. So that's Tank Davis. But this is my major concern, and I don't run Tank Davis's career. I know he's now a technical free agent, I guess, although Leonard Ellaby seemed to be quite positive about maintaining that relationship. We'll have to see. Dude, he has got to fight somebody in the top five. He is almost 30 pro fights into his career, and I don't know if he has fought and defeated in their current rankings anyone ever in the top five. The time is now. I, I believe at 130 he has, but you're correct about what you're saying. And I think it's important, Luke, certainly moving forward, what his promotional relationship is going to be, whether he's going to go on his own like he said he would, but then by the end of the week, as you said, everyone's chummy again and talking like it's going to continue. Um, Davis said this was his last fight coming in under his contract, but then Ellerby kind of contradicted that in post-fight interviews. So either way, if this is even just a wake-up call for Javante to speak up and say, look, I'm a monster draw. I'm arguably the biggest draw in this whole you know area of this weight division. I mean, he is. He's the pay-per-view star of this weight era, of this weight class right now. These fights are not, they're not easy to make, but they're not impossible. And the only way they're going to get made is when you can get big star power that demands big money that would make networks, rival networks, rival promoters be willing to work together. But Luke, I think to your point, it can't be fights like Roley moving forward. Now, it was Roley this time. It was supposed to be Roley the last time we got Isak Cruz last minute. Still, that was a tough fight. Barrios before that was a creative, fun fight. Santa Cruz before that, creative, fun fight. We got to get that creative out of there. We got to go after, as you're saying, the biggest names. And, and look, look who showed up at this fight. Ryan Garcia and his dad in the crowd. Teofimo, who afterwards was saying, I think I'm the only one that can beat him. Let's do it at 140. Also, uh, who else was there? Shakur Stevenson posed with Gervonta mm-hmm. in the locker room afterwards. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he looked bigger. I know Stevenson's not in camp right now, but he looked a lot bigger than Tank, even though he's a, a division smaller than him. Um you you got to make these now. And I think what's helping the potential of that, as I said, is Gervonta is such a star that there's starting to be enough money there where I hope the powers that be, and those powers that be, meaning Floyd Mayweather, Leonard Ellerby, Al Heyman of PBC, Steven Espinosa of Showtime, I would love to see it now. He is established as a star. So let's start knocking on the doors of those big-name competitors that will give him the critical respect that I believe he deserves. Because, Luke... I've had him in and around 9, 10, 11 in my pound-for-pound rankings. I feel like a lot of publications have hesitated to do that, and if it's because of the matchmaking, that's fine. But, dude, tell me you don't think from what you're seeing that Gervonta has pound-for-pound-level skill. Of course he does. Now we got to see it, and and it just so happens that he's in the deepest division from the standpoint of young studs, and Shakur Stevenson's knocking on that door to eventually move up. Um, Luke, yeah, it is time. It is time to, to, to ask or get off the pot. Let's make the not only the biggest fights available in terms of commerciality, but like let's make the real biggest fights because you can become a star through branding, trash talk, even a highlight reel of knockouts, but you don't become a legend until you do what you just asked Gervonta to do. Look at the top five and say, regardless of money, promoter, network, Let's find a way to make that happen because that, that's got to be, Luke, the biggest regret in the end for anyone, a fan, the fighter himself, to know that you were of that skill in that era, but yet you potentially didn't max it out against the best available. I love the, 
I love where we're at in boxing. Not just that 2021 was a great year and it's spilled into this year and this is already a great year for boxing, but the willingness of those who don't play on the same team to make fights happen. We're going in the right direction. Let's make these, fight hap- these fights happen. So, Luke, um, here's what I don't love. Because Ryan Garcia is in the crowd. He's saying, I want to fight Tank in December. He's going to fight Fortune in July, but he's saying, I want to fight Tank in December. Luke, if that's a two-network pay-per-view, if it has to be, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to sell a million and a half buys, but Ryan Garcia's got, you know, 8 million followers on Instagram. He's a, he's a verified star himself. I don't like afterwards that they asked Leonard Ellerby about it in, in CEO of Mayweather Promotions, and he just goes on and on saying, I'm telling you, Ryan doesn't want that fight. Well, he is in the crowd doing interviews saying he does. So can we sit down at the negotiation table? Can we get Oscar De La Hoya? Can we get the zone? Can we get whoever we need to? And let's make these fights happen. Luke, how yeah, fired I got to tell you, I just don't believe that. I just don't believe that. I mean, here, here's the reality for me. You asked me, like, do I think Tank Davis is, like, up there with potential pound-for-pound conversations? I don't have any doubt about Tank Davis's ability. He can hit hard. He's a sensational athlete. He has significantly higher boxing IQ than I think folks recognize. That dude can fight. There's not a doubt in my mind. Now, where does he actually fall between the Lopez's and the Garcia's and whatever? Don't know the answer to that, but I certainly think he is their peer and maybe their king. We will have to see. What gets me is, dude, he's a, it's his career, it's his life, it's his brain cells. He can make the choices about who he wants to fight ultimately for himself, and that's what it's going to be. But from this point on, if you're nearly 30 pro fights in your career and you're beating guys like this, who I also think that Tank was, take him in like very light at the weigh-ins, but I don't know how seriously he took this. The reality for me is fight who you want to fight, but if you're not going to fight these top five guys nearly 30 fights into your career, and by the way, clearly... Tank Davis would be the A-side. I don't care what anybody else says. He's the only guy who has proven to be a draw on pay-per-view. You don't get to dodge the criticisms that you're not fighting the people who are the best in your weight class. You now have to accept those criticisms. You can fight whoever you want for whatever reasons you want, but that doesn't then absolve you from then... Like, you don't get the acclaim that... Like, you get a certain kind of acclaim that comes from beating other top five guys, right? Canelo is chief example. Bivol fight notwithstanding is a clear demonstration of that. There's a certain level of acclaim you get, both long-term and short-term. If you don't fight guys like that, you are not entitled to those praise. You're not entitled to that that kind of... Um, not worship per se, but the recognition that comes with it. You are entitled to only the recognition that comes from fighting one or two steps down from that, which is not nearly the same. So make a choice about who you want to fight, but then they come back and they're like, you know, oh, we tried, you know, we just couldn't get it. I really, I'm sorry to tell you, I just don't believe that at this point. I really don't. Try harder is what my answer well, would be. Well, what Ellerby would tell you is that they did reach out to try to make the fight with Garcia, but it was during a time that Ryan Garcia thought he might get Pacquiao. So Golden Boy and them said, hold on, you know, we got other things we're trying to do. So that's what's always going to be the excuse, but I am with you that it doesn't, it hasn't seemed for the most part that Team Tank, whether that's Floyd or Ellerby or whoever, has been uh, aggressive enough to do exactly what you're saying. They've been aggressive to make him a star, yes. They haven't been aggressive enough to leave no doubt in that critical discussion. I'd like to see that change. So if it does change the second half of this calendar year, what do you think is the biggest and best fight that Team Tank, meaning PBC, Showtime, LRB, if 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 Tank's still here and this is the direction we're going, who do they target? Should it be Ryan Garcia to close the year? Should it be the winner of Haney Cambosis for all four titles, which happens this Saturday? Although I believe Cambosis has a rematch clause, which 
could get in the way. Um, is it somebody different? Is it is it Teofimo at 140? Is I mean, you know, what do you think, Luke? Where, where, where do you go with this right now? I think, um, obviously, Garcia has the Fortuna fight, which, by the way, you know, I would expect Garcia to win, but Fortuna could make that. I mean, Garcia did not look awesome in his last fight. Granted, no. new trainer, new situation, time off, blah, blah, blah. We know the story, but okay, it's there. Listen, this is not complicated, dude. Any of them. And like, why, we keep making this be like, well, who's it going to be? And is it, Okay, obviously going through top rank is going to be a little bit harder than the other options. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens with Cambosis. We'll have to see what happens to your point about, you know, Garcia. Those are the two obvious ones. Like, go right after it, dude. Try any of them. And by the way, if you can fight across three weight classes, how about, this is very simple. How about any top five guy in any of those? Very, I have 15 names you could literally pick from. Pick one of them. Pick yeah. somebody at the upper end of that division. Now that Tank Davis is, I'm not sure how old he is, but uh, clearly either nearing 27. or... Dude, he's not even at his physical prime, but he's getting pretty close. Dude, give this guy a challenge who I think is on par with Tank. The problem with some of these fights are that, you know, Mario Barrios, very good. Isak Cruz, I'm with you. Isak Cruz is a very underrated win, and the Pedraza went on top of that. These guys are good, but in the end, they were outmatched. They were outmatched. Give me somebody that I can't look at right on paper and say, and Isak Cruz came in short notice too, but that I can't say, yeah, this probably heavily favors Tank. Give me someone where I'm like, I don't really know what the answer is. Someone, ha if you want what the, the rewards that comes with that, both financial, both historic, and in terms of present rankings, all of the many benefits, you've got to go do those things. If you don't do those things, you don't get those rewards Simple as that for me. So fight who you want to fight. But if you want to be viewed at as like the guy in this division, you got to beat the other guys at 130, 135, or 140. Simple as that. Yeah. I just don't love that that Mayweather promotion stance has always been sort of like, well, we're the money player in the division. If you want to fight us, come to us. And what that means without saying it is leave your network and come fight on our network on our pay-per-view right. versus us. You know, it doesn't work with stars in boxing. You've got to be creative and do two network deals. If, Luke, I'm right, meaning Haney versus Cambosis ends up in either an immediate rematch to close the year or Lomachenko fighting the winner. Remember, Lomachenko, originally they were trying to set up against Cambosis for all four belts, but the Ukraine conflict got in the way. If that's the case... The fight to make for me is Tank versus Ryan Garcia because not only is Garcia arguably the biggest star of all of those potential big names, he's also the most vulnerable, Luke. Like, he's... We're not sure yet if Ryan Garcia has the elite chin. If he's not just a, a you know, an American 2.0, we're still not really sure. We saw him get dropped by a non-puncher in Luke Campbell. Yeah, he came back and blew away to go, but, you know, that was not, not a high-profile fight. And, and even though Javier Fortuna is ranked and is a veteran... That's also not a high-profile fight. If I'm Team Tank, I do whatever I can to make the Ryan Garcia fight. Or, Luke, you know how I sit in my own war room, this, uh, this basement office, and I make really fun, um, creative UFC pay-per-view fights and really gross, creative MMA regional fights? Can I make a really fun and creative boxing fight and get your opinion? You ready mm -hmm. for this? Mm -hmm. Would you buy in, considering this man just lost the election, would you buy in to close the year with Pacquiao? No, no. Tank no, Davis moving no, up two weight classes no, to fight no. to fight Pacquiao on pay per view. You would not be no. into that. No, fuck off. I don't give a shit. Why? I, just, I don't give a shit. No, 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 no. Fight. Why? Someone. This is not them talking. I'll tell you. This you're asking. You're talking. asking me why. You're asking me yeah. why. I will tell you. Fight someone good. Fight someone your age ish. 
fight someone relevantly ranked in the divisions in which you have fought. Stop gerrymandering the the weight class and where we're going to do this and all that. No, fuck no. You are a 135 fighter, maybe 140, maybe 135, but 135. Fight someone top five there. It is time. He is 28 nearly years old. 30 almost pro fights. He's the king of this division, at least in terms of pay-per-view. You automatically will be the A-side. Fight someone relevant, period. Okay. That's my personal view. That was my idea, not his, for the record, but don't think it's not something that somebody is not talking about somewhere because of the star power and the fact that he'd really have to move up and wait against a big puncher for that, you know, con- consider- comparatively to where Tank's been fighting. But let me close with this, Luke. Okay. In terms of Tank's contemporaries, I'm going to name them, and you tell me quickly right now who you favor against him. You ready for this? Here we go. Okay. Ryan Garcia, who do you favor? I, f- I pick Tank. Teo Fimo at 140. Tank. Wow. 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 Uh, Dude, tank, tank can fight. It's not an issue if Tank can fight. It's not an issue. De- Devin Haney at 135 for all the belts. Haney. Ooh, he's re- he is really good. We're going to find out against Cambosis. See, here's the thing. Uh, I, think, I think, obviously, if, if a guy like Tank can touch him consistently, that's a real big problem for Haney. But I think Haney is the kind of guy to cross every T and dot every I in ways I'm not sure Tank is just yet. And so for that maturity, competitive reasons, I yeah. would lean towards Haney for that. Now, I know that people are going to be hitting me up. Yes, Cambosis, who I've, we've, we've looked past every time, yet he's betting odds-wise. He's right there against Haney this weekend. So he's also in play. But Luke, to close... Shakur Stevenson moving up to 35 against against Gervonta. Dude, that's the fight, right? Stevenson. I favor Stevenson. And Loma? Ooh. I don't know what to make of what Loma's got left. That's the hard I part. Oh, I know. Old Loma, I favor Loma. But new Loma, I might favor Tank. I don't know. I don't know. That's a, t- that's a tougher one. I don't know the answer. I want to see them all. Hey, hey, yes. Leonard and, and Al and everyone else. That's that the Steven, point. I want to see them those. all. Any of those. Any of okay. those. All right. BC, let's stick with boxing, but let's go to the Dana White side of things. So Dana White was on the Block Party podcast. That's with Adam Catterall and Nick Pete. I think those are the, the gentlemen from uh, BT uh, Sport out in the UK. And they asked him about, like, sort of, are you still involved in boxing? What's the whole idea here? And uh, he is basically out. Now, he has said, I'm in, I'm out several times. But here is what he wrote. Uh, this is the block, block Assets Block Party. So some crypto fucking sponsored podcast, whatever. Um Every time I try to think about doing something with boxing, I go, why would I want to do this to myself? (laughs) White said. You know what I mean? Why would I even want to dive into this nightmare? That's why I haven't really done anything. It's a broken business that is an absolute nightmare to try to fix. Now, BC, I wanted to include this because I actually thought this was a really important conversation to have. And this is one thing I really feel like a lot of folks don't understand about boxing. What they feel like, and this is, again, I'm not claiming to be any kind of boxing expert, but from the time that I've spent covering it, both previously and in the last few years, here's what dawns on me that I don't think a lot of folks realize. If you wanted to argue that MMA runs more simply and more nimbly, that is pretty much incontestably true. It it does. It runs more simply and more um, easily, right? There are some complicating factors. The industry is hardly perfect. But that, that relative to boxing, it is a smoother process to get things done. But the reason why things are a little bit more difficult to get them done in boxing is intentional. People think that boxing 
fell into a state of disrepair. And there have been certain things that have gone wrong, and particularly with the sanctioning bodies, where that is somewhat true. However, through the force of law, this is what is lost on a lot of folks. Yes, it is harder to make boxing run more smoothly, but that is intentional. And the reason it is intentional and why you have rankings independent of any kind of promoter, why the promoter, for example, cannot have their own weight class titles, why there are other protections with the Muhammad Ali Boxing Reform Act is there are federal laws and protections in place to make sure that the industry's various power centers are at least somewhat more evenly balanced. Sometimes that works out well, sometimes that doesn't. As I mentioned, the sanctioning bodies have some uh, larger issues in play, but they exist for a reason as well, which is when the promoter can create their own title, all kinds of problems ensue. Having an independent uh, sanctioning body, at least in theory, one of them, solves that kind of problem. It makes it much more difficult for the promoter to be able to wield the kind of power that they do. It is an intentional balancing act. And I know that that makes for some consumer frustration. We just talked about it with Tank Davis. However, however, long term, I don't know that it's a great idea that MMA industry is basically a monopoly. Like you can tell me, oh, it's great that Amazon, I can go into Amazon, I can shop for whatever I want, and it's great, and it's good for me. Yeah, but it's hard to say it's good for consumers long term to have that kind of a role in the industry. Moreover, people think, as I said before, that it's just a state of disrepair that it fell into. No, it's a designed system to balance competing interests and power centers. And while that may not be as consumer forward as we like, it actually protects itself much longer over the, over, over the long term anyway by doing that. That's, I think, something very, very lost on folks that needs to be said. Well, it was lost on Dana White this whole time. Now, you know, the, the, the origins of Zufa boxing were certainly, well, obviously, Dana and the Fertitas are longtime boxing fans, and they came up in boxing managing and training, but it was really Maymac that I think opened up. That's when Dana showed up at the press conference with the Zufa boxing t-shirt and the idea that, you know what, there's a lot of money to be made here, so why don't I just stumble on over and make it? But so much has changed since then, Luke, in terms of the UFC's financial picture. I mean, look, that fight was, what, 2017, Maymac? 2019 was the UFC's first uh, card with their new deal with ESPN, which was so lucrative that you can argue they don't need to be doing this stuff anymore. Because look, you got to look at it in that time frame. 2016 UFC business through the roof, but they sell. They sell high. And then 2017 was kind of a pick up the pieces year. No Ronda, no Connor, pay-per-view sales down. I think that fueled some of the chance taking we saw with UFC in terms of matchmaking and pay-per-views and getting in on this Maymac thing and cashing in on it like they did as the co-promoter. But it was always an ignorant idea for Dana to just think I'll walk right in into that that game and have the same success. You just nailed it in why you why you said that there's laws built to 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 do that. Like it was a perfect storm how Dana and Zufa really saved the sport of MMA, at least in the States, when UFC was, you know, banned from TV and pay-per-view and really going nowhere. And then they come in, they buy it, they put a lot of money into it, they almost lose it a couple times, and then they make it work, and, and shout out to them. But because they picked it up when it was broken, when nobody wanted it, that's how they were able to establish such in, insane control over everything from titles to matchmaking to everything you just said. You can't just walk in and boxing and do that same thing. How many people with a lot of money have tried? How many celebrities have tried to start promotions? Jay-Z, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roy Jones. I mean, like, all across the board, so many, and 50 Cent, and then sort of been like, oh, wow, this is a losing proposition. 
in the long run. I think the only way Zufa boxing would have worked, because remember, Dana at first was like, I think we want to be a promoter. Then he was like, I think we want to just be a, have our own UFC fight pass where other boxing promoters can come and do their pay-per-views on. But nobody's going to, you know, like you have to look at where boxing is in the modern financial terms. Promoters get tied to networks these days. That's where they make their money. Nobody's going to go put their fight on UFC Fight Pass unless they have nowhere else to put it. So I think the only way Zufa Boxing could actually, in this climate, work is if Dana White and company wanted to get into sort of that carnival Jake Paul side of the business. Because we all know that Jake Paul wants nothing but to box faded UFC names to make his name in boxing unless UFC was willing to say, okay, Jake, why don't you just come to us? We'll give you the guys under the Zufa Boxing banner. But Luke, they don't need to do that financially. So because they don't need to... You don't need to create that trouble of MMA fighters trying to create more leverage under the UFC banner by by trying to get big boxing matches and all this. It's just a headache. So, yeah, it's no surprise, but we also were here when Dana kind of said this last year and the year before. It was always sort of a pipe dream that he was just going to walk in and swing his big dick and everybody was going to gonna end up on UFC Fight Pass. Not going to happen. Boxing is a is a is a broken Wild West sport in terms of the function and organization, that's no surprise run by basically the same people for a very long time. It, 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 there's, there, there's low barriers of entry, but there's huge barriers of, to have consistent success and flow. So um, this seems smart in the long run. We just, you know, we had to print a few goofy Zufa boxing shirts to get here. And Dana had to find out the hard way, Luke. But, but the thing that always just bothers me when people interview him about this, he always says the same thing. He says the industry is broken. Okay, I'm not yeah. here to say that it... Well, Fine. I just That's did, a... but it's right, right, not... right. But if I asked you why it's broken, and I'm about to, you're going to give me a specific answer. He never seems to say what is broken about it. My personal criticism, BC, my biggest, one of my biggest pet peeves is the sanctioning bodies actually fulfill an extremely important role, which is as I mentioned before, the promoter not being able to have their own title. That is an absolutely massive, massive uh, gift and important one for the fighters to maintain some relevancy. Um, and of course, independent rankings go along with that. However, they have abused that to a degree in creating WBA super interim, you know, Latin American champion or, you know, whatever, double degree. interim. Right. So <laughs> they that's used my, it to a large degree. Yes. Yes. So they, they have to me, they while they have a valuable role, they have abused part of that valuable role in all the ways in which they've created titles. When you think of why boxing is broken, by the way, I don't think boxing is broken. I think it's just a decentralized kind of sport, which just makes it inherently chaotic. What is your major criticism of boxing as a way it's constructed? Well, there's a lack of a central central body of sorts that can organize the the matchmaking and the business distribution of it, right? Like if we want stars to fight each other while they're young, you have to have so much money involved for networks and promoters to want to get off of their platform or tie their platform to another and do a joint pay-per-view. So, you know, we used to say the problem in boxing was, you know, you're not on national tele, you know, network uh television anymore well, well we got back on network television it, it, it changed a little it didn't change a ton because boxing is still too dependent on the pay-per-view model so you can't put great fights on regular tv because who's going to pay for it and that's an issue and uh you're right is it broken or is it just disorganized Either way, Luke, the problem is the best can't fight the best easily because everybody 
has a already has a silo and structure set up for them to make the most money that they can make. Nobody's gonna okay, but dude, in fairness, okay, I, I was like BC, I agree with that. I couldn't, I couldn't possibly disagree with you. You certainly know the sport better than me, and I would never say otherwise. However, you would also agree, dude, this thing about, like, well, the best don't fight the best in boxing. Dude, the best fight the best in boxing routinely. Yes, there are some certain cases. We just talked about Tank Davis. Please don't misunderstand me. And he's not fighting chumps either. He's fighting good fighters. But we're talking like one, two, two, three, three, four, that kind of a thing. Dude, that happens significantly more in boxing than it ever seems to be publicly aware of. True? That, that's a great point. I agree with you. Uh, the trends are, are trending up, but it's still a... It's still a problem at its core that there's major exceptions to that. And the major sure. exceptions are what hold people back, even if they like boxing, from being a consistent day-to-day, week-to-week fan because they go, where's the payoff, right? Yes, but I also just feel like there is, but it's partly a sanctioning body issue, partly a rankings issue, partly a diverse promoter issue. But there's not really a clear explanation of like, no, 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 like Haney and Cambosis – this is at least in theory a claim for one versus two. It's happening this weekend. We just had Jermel Charlo unify all the titles against Brian Castaño. Uh, who, what are some of the big fights we have coming up here that I haven't even? My brain is now not working right. Uh, but, Usyk Joshua two probably right, August. Right. I mean, dude, like the idea that the best don't fight the best. Yeah, there are some noteworthy exceptions to that. That is a that that speak to a real deficiency in the business model. However, boxing's reputation for never facilitating the best versus the best is great. Greatly overstated. That's my only point. That's fair. That's fair. But, yeah. uh, you know, at circle back as it pertains to Dana, I'm, I'm not surprised, Luke. I'm not surprised at all. Okay. Not surprised. Probably for the best that he stays out of it. Uh, right, because I think he of- thought, Luke, to be fair, he thought he was going to come in and cherry pick. You can't cherry pick in boxing. No. You have to establish yourself, get a roster of fighters, get a network deal. Like, it's not easy. It's why Bob Arum is 90-something and still on top, right? It's why Don King is, who's no longer on top, but still in it, right? It's, it's you know, Oscar Also, for MMA fans, for MMA fans who are like, well, why don't you just have Zufa boxing and have, like, MMA fighters box and have it be different? Well, for two reasons. One, like, what would be, the, like, if you could make, I know Connor and Dustin have already fought, but let's say they hadn't. Oh, you could make Connor and Dustin as a boxing fight. Even if the boxing fight were good, people would be like, well, okay, but if you could make it there, well, why wouldn't you just make an MMA fight? So, like, that right. wouldn't really work. Right. And more to the point, once you make them a boxer, they're entitled to federal protections. They don't have any of those as an MMA fighter. It's probably no secret that like Dana White thinks that if Dana White thinks that the boxers, the A-list boxers are overpaid, what he's really saying is that the promoters are underpaid. That's what he really believes. At the end of the day, he believes the promoters are underpaid. And when you start giving these guys rights that they otherwise don't have and abilities to negotiate that they otherwise don't have by virtue of, again, federal protections, the whole ballgame falls apart for how the UFC does business. Yes, of course well, it's look, easier in, in, in MMA. Endeavor has a lot of celebrity investors that need to get their money back before the fighters for their investment. I get it. Huh? I get it. All right, last but not least, we go with just some boxing storylines. BC, we'll kind of quick hit these because we don't have a lot of time to get to them. We indicated George Cambos has taken on Devin Haney this weekend. This is for what? Ostensibly the very best 135-er. How do you size these two up? Where is it airing, by the way? I should have looked that up ahead of time. Sorry. It's going to air on uh, on ESPN. It's going to be in primetime Saturday night. Nice. And uh, it is a great fight. Now, All the way from def- Melbourne, right? 
Yep, and there's definitely some interesting storylines involved. The biggest one that's probably come up of late is that Devin Haney's father and trainer will not be able to make the flight with him. De uh, his father and trainer flew to Las Vegas with him, sent him off on the flight to Australia, but the reason is because Haney's father had a felony conviction on uh, drug trafficking, you know, back in his early 20s that is preventing him from being able to travel to Australia. A long time ago, he's a changed man. Um, how will this affect Haney? It's going to be interesting because he's going to enemy territory. This is the first fight on his sort of new deal with uh, with ESPN leaving DAZN and sort of changing promoters. Uh, this is a great fight, Luke. You know, we've overlooked Cambosis yet. He's hungry as crap. He went in there and elevated himself against Teofimo to a level that, you know, I didn't think we hadn't seen in the past and I didn't think was possible. And now the betting odds are pretty close and it might make sense considering even though Haney is clearly, you know, more talented category to category, dude, Cambosis is going to be fighting at home in a giant stadium Haney's father and trainer not there. This is going to be very interesting because there's no shortage of stakes. It's all four of the titles in one of boxing's best divisions, 135, right? All those young names we talked about. The winner's going to be in that in that you know pole position in terms of the control because uh, they're they're going to be the chased. People are going to be chasing them. So uh, you got to be excited about this. Just style wise, we know Cambosis goes after it, gets inside, lets his hands go, and Haney is that in, in theory a do it all guy. But Luke, we have seen at times, particularly the Jorge Linares fight, Haney can get he can get himself into you know he can be a little vulnerable when, when Linares was losing that fight, but in the championship rounds caught up to him, and suddenly you're seeing Haney circle away and jabbing from the outside. Now he has repaired that. He looked great against Jojo Diaz. It was another quality win, but uh, he's got a lot to prove in this one especially that he can go do this on the road. We remember Errol Spence going to England to beat Kell Brook, and that was sort of his breakthrough giant moment. Uh, this yeah, but is he Haney's... had Derek James in the corner there. That's a fair point as well. But, uh, you know, this, this is going to be a good one, Luke. They, and, they, and there's so, you know, whether they rematch afterwards or Loma's next or whomever, there's so much big business that's going to come off of this. Uh, I think we're in for, for a fight that's going to exceed expectations in terms of the excitement and the, and the action. Yeah, no doubt about it. I love this contest. I, the only thing I would add is BC. I think both of us were so wrong about Cambosis yeah, we that were. we have to have some humility here. So I'm going to call this one a coin flip. Yes, I, I'll be honest with the audience. In my heart of hearts, I see Haney as a better boxer. But I saw Lopez as a much better boxer. And, and George Cambosis, not the entirety of that fight, but for good stretches of it, beat him like a fucking drum. So um, to your point, Haney not having the coach, Haney not having the corner, the travel issues, the whole nine yards. This is a huge test for him. So I'm going to say coin flip. May the best man win. Okay, on Showtime this weekend, cool boy Steph is back off a fight of the year candidate. And by the way, a unification as well. Fulton will take on Danny Roman, Daniel Roman, who I believe, BC, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't he a part of the charlo doubleheader was that the yes, card he, he was. was on yes last Absolutely. set this one up for us what what can fans expect from this one on showtime over the Look, weekend this is a sleeper of a great fight waiting to break out on saturday we know that showtime is committed heavily in the past you know 18 months to this division 122 pounds which it'd been a while since we had a group of like you know american-based english-speaking elite fighters well we got that now and if you don't know about danny romani maybe quiet in terms of his you know talking and in quotes and and all that but he's a monster inside of that ring. He's the former unified champion in this division. He lost a split decision two years ago to Murajan Akhmadaliev. It was a fight of the year contender. It was all action. Roman was the guy who came on late, but he lost his two titles. He's had a really nice string of victories, usually on Fulton or Figueroa co-main events or undercards, to get back to this level. Fulton just squeaked out that 
say it again, fight of the year contender against Figueroa last December, and it was such a amazing performance really from both guys, but Fulton got the edge. Luke, he's going right back in there against the guy who can, who, you know, if you ask what can Danny Roman do, he can do it all. He's a very good, he's a smart boxer, but he's a guy that when, when the chips are on the table, he lets his hands go and goes after it. We know that Fulton does the same thing. Dude, this... Saturday night, set, set your clocks for Showtime. Get your 30 days free right now at Showtime.com because this is going to be a hell of a fight. Uh, you know, could the winner be facing a Figueroa, a Luis Neri? Who knows? This division's hot, but this is a great matchup. Was it like two wins ago when when somebody won and you told Fulton in the ring when you were doing the filling in for Jim Gray that you look forward to 9-11? Was that, was that a Fulton fight? Yeah, that w- no, that was when Figueroa knocked out Luis Neri to the body. Right, that's right. That's Fulton right, came yes. in the ring afterwards, and you know, September 11th, can't wait. This is going to be great. Yeah, kill Whitey. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah. Uh, Anthony great. Joshua is back in the news. Yes, of course, we're concerned about the rematch with Usyk. But the one I want to point out here very quickly is BC. He got a new trainer, Robert Garcia. Who is Robert Garcia, Ooh. and why should fans care? Dude, this is surprising. Now, if you remember, Anthony Joshua went on a tour over the U.S. You know what about? four, five, six months ago, visiting with different trainers. He was talking about keeping his original long-term trainer on as an assistant and just bringing on a new guy. It seems smart considering now we've seen Joshua come up empty on the big stage twice now against Ruiz, but he avenged it, and now against Usyk. Uh, I'm surprised by this, Luke, because Robert Garcia is certainly one of the top you know, three or four best trainers in the game, and, and from a celebrity coach standpoint, one of the biggest names, no doubt. But Robert Garcia is an aggressive coach, you know? It's not that he can't add craft to somebody and, and sharpen up somebody's boxing. He's had a history of almost being a celebrity trainer for hire where you bring him on, he kind of helps you improve. But Robert Garcia fighters go after it. Uh, you know, he trains Virgil Ortiz Jr., the unbeaten welterweight. You know, he's trained Mikey Garcia, his younger brother. But this is going to be interesting to see what this does to Joshua's game because, Luke, when you look back at that very competitive but clean win for Usyk over him in the first fight, you know, I thought that Anthony Joshua was – Far too willing to try to trust his own boxing ability, especially late in that fight, against a wizard, you know, in boxing of Usyk, who, you know, it wasn't going to be highly possible that Usyk was going to come in there with power punches and knock Joshua out, although credit to Usyk, he landed some big ones early that changed the tenor of the fight. Usyk's in there to try to outbox you. Joshua's the bigger guy, the bigger puncher by far. We need to see a more offensive aggressive attack maybe Robert Garcia is that right coach so it's going to be fun to see how quickly they can adapt to each other and whether changes can be made because Luke as much as we all love Usyk pound for pound ranked former undisputed cruiserweight champion look what he just went in there and did the upset dude he had to take some big shots to get there he even said so afterwards that you know I had to really bite down can he do that again can he be the wizard the same way again if AJ's more willing to bite down, sit down on his punches, and let those big combinations go. Dude, this rematch is going to be fun to watch. And I know that they were targeting it for July 23rd in Saudi Arabia. The latest rumors, reports are saying maybe more toward August. But this is going to be a big fight. And I think this is a very interesting wrinkle of the storyline to add into it as AJ tries to, for the second time, reclaim the titles that he lost. Okay, uh, as we mentioned, Ryan Garcia is going to fight Javier Fortuna July 16th. Let's just move on from that. I don't really care that much. Lastly, WBO, it's a fine fight, but WBO orders Jermel Charlo. Jermel just unified, obviously, against Brian Castaño, so he has all the belts in that weight class. He's the undisputed guy. And they've ordered him to fight, the WBO has, Tim Zhu, the guy you have a phoner for from here to Hanover. 
BC, yeah. is he going to fight Tim Zhu, or is he just going to dump the belts and go to 160? I don't know, but this is not that this was unexpected news. This was expected that Zhu, along with Sebastian Fundora, are have a, you know acquired their mandatory stake at, at a shot at the titles. But yeah, it comes down to which direction is Jermel going. So his brother Jermal, who's going to fight Machi Selechki on Showtime in a couple weeks, already said he's going to move up to 168 afterwards and sort of tease that his brother might move up to 160. Luke, I think that's going to be the direction for the, the especially the older names at 154 to go up to 60. We just saw Arislandi Lara do it. Julian J. Rock Williams told us during Saturday's broadcast that he's considering it. I'm sure Jared Swift Heard is probably going to be a middleweight before long. But there are two big, marketable, fun fights for Charlo if he wants to stay there. Knowing the competitor he is, knowing the potential because of Zoo's, you know, historical name and certainly the big fan base from Australia, dude, that, that could be a big event. I, I'm really hoping Jermel stays put here and handles his business because Fondora has really surprised us and knocked out Erickson Lubin to get to this point. And Tim Zhu, you know, he took some damage, but he walked through uh, Terrell Gaucher in his U.S. debut to show us that he's coming. He's, you know, is he as good as we thought he is? I'm not sure, but he's coming. If this fight can be made, it's really up to Jermel at this point. Look, this is a big deal. This is a big fight. And given the style Jermel showed against Castaño, that he can stand in there and trade and, and, and out-bully the bully, this is going to be an action fight. Luke, this is going to be nothing but an action fight. Because Tim Zhu basically... Tim Zhu was in the crowd, and after the Castaño fight, he said, not only do I want Jermel, but you know my style. I'm a zombie. I'm just going to keep walking through whatever I have to. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun as shit, Luke. Should be a lot of fun. All right, that is our topics, BC. It's time for your feces. BC's feces. All right. Uh, Luke, usually on Monday, what we do is we uh, scour the globe. By the way, you know I have Jake the Documentarian en route on the way to my house right now, Luke? Oh, is he? Is today the uh, MTV Cribs episode? I think it is. I think it is. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. Also, Luke, before we get into the shit, um, PFL 6 announced their uh, July 1st card Main event, Kayla Harrison versus Julia Budd in what could be, on paper, Kayla's toughest fight to date. You care? She's probably going to beat the shit out of Julia Budd, yeah. I mean, Budd just lost in her PFL debut against uh, Jenna Fabian, who Kayla beat in one round. So who knows, Luke? Probably right. not. All right. right. Luke, I, I go and I, uh, I find a lot of shit, and I put it together, and then I make you react to it. Uh, they call it, <laughs> have you seen this shit? Thank you. Yeah, there it is. There it is. All right, yep. All right, I just got to find it here for a second. All right, here we go. We got the shit here. Luke, we talked about it. Tank versus Rowley in Brooklyn over the weekend. Showtime pay-per-view. Check out this ringside angle of the stoppage. I had some questions in the moment if David Fields pulled the trigger too early on Rowley, but from this view, dude, you can see how wobbly he really was. Yeah, dude, he sent him face first. He caught him in between punches, which was amazing, in between steps. And you can see him. Look at his legs, bro. Yeah, those are. He, he, he looks like he looks like someone who, uh, like a newborn giraffe trying to ski. Like, no, <laughs> it ain't gonna happen for you. Uh, Luke, speaking of Rowley, real quick, do you think he bought himself some big fights with this, with this overall showing, with his he mouth might've. and his performance? I mean, the thing is, he overperformed relative to what I thought was possible. But uh, let's say this: he performed well through five rounds, and then he sold it bigger than it was gonna be by saying completely outrageous shit and showing you his third nipple. But uh, yeah, he probably did. Well, one thing Rowley was wrong about was he predicted a KO1 on the first punch. He also predicted this would look a lot like Adrian Broner versus Marcos Maidana. 
with him playing the role of Maidana, turns out, Luke, it looks a lot like <laughs> it looks a lot like he played the role of Broner in that Maidana fight. It was kind of a perfect comparison, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. Um, yeah, buddy. When you least expect it, you're gonna get you're gonna get meme too. Yep, virtually identical, Mike Goldberg. Exactly. Uh, Luke also on this undercard. Shout out to 39 year old Arislandi Lara at middleweight now with an with a secondary title. Dude, he put it on that curly mustached Spike O'Sullivan. Did you see this footage, Luke? Yeah, watch, watch, watch Sullivan use his left hand. Sorry, this is not the one. No, that's a different one. But there's a second knockdown he gets him with where he uses his right hand. He sticks it in Sullivan's face. And then Sullivan keeps using the same left hand to parry. And so he just waits for the, the, the next parry to come to bring the hand down, then fires the cross right, right in front of him and drills him. And that's what ultimately got the stoppage. It was a nice, it was a nice shot. Laura can still box, bro. Also, Laura and I have the same idea about female companions, about like what we're looking for. Shouts to Aris Lundy, Laura. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Luke, I don't know if we have sound from this. I think I forgot to tell him to put sound on it. But here's Ryan Garcia sitting behind Errol Spence before the start of the Roly fight. Let's go to the sound. Oh, the 20K I got on Roly's, he got on tape. Yeah. Okay. No, don't, don't play with I'll, I'll pay no you pay. shit tomorrow. All right. <laughs> Why is he wearing a tuxedo in, like, the fourth row? What is he doing? <laughs> Apparently, Rag Guy uh, has a lot of money to throw around, Luke, because that doesn't look like that 20K worked out for him. You see Danny Garcia's face? He was like, really? Really, bro? All right, there you go. Uh, Luke, it's time for some regional MMA bullshit. Did you see this? Uh, Cam 10 was the name of the card. Juan Oliveira putting it on David Herrera, dude. Oh, stiffened him up with that knee. Blow. That was like a front-standing soccer kick to the face, Luke. Oof. Oh, Jesus. This boy can't stay out of the clinch. Oh, oh Jesus. Boy. He's just getting... Oh, there you go. Thank that referee. Just yeah. Good Lord. I think it, looked like, it looked like Anderson Silva versus Rich Franklin, one and two, Luke, can, together a combined. Bit. A little bit, that yeah. Was, that was gross. All right. Hey, this is from two weeks ago. I forgot to put it on. Let's go to one championship. You're talking about the Rutolo brothers. Here's Cade Rutolo. Taking the using the cage to take the back. Do they call this a Showtime submission, Luke? I don't know, bro. That's pretty amazing. And that was uh, Shinya Aoki. Shinya Aoki, everyone's like, oh, he's amazing at submissions. I'm like, yeah, in MMA. Against these pro grappler types, he ain't going to get very far. And the Ruotolo brothers are pretty amazing. That was awesome. And you can see he had to throw the arm by to get to the back. Watch, he kicks off the cage, and there's the left arm, the, the right arm he has to throw by. He throws it by and catches it. Boy, that is a that is slick. Super are they awesome. legit? These brothers, Luke, are yes. they going to be like we're going to be talking about them on the show in the next next? Yeah. Yes, right. I mean because they're of their relative youth, they don't have any super super high level accomplishments at the black belt level. When I say super, I mean like worlds or ADCC, Mundials um, or ADCC. But I think that's coming. I think they've won some Pan Ams uh, competition uh, in the black in the black belt division. But most of their best stuff comes at brown belt and down by virtue of age, and so. Um, I think they're, they're, this next few years is going to be the Ruotolo era, I think. All right. Uh, I skipped over. Let's go back to it. KSW70, the legend Puja was back, Luke, in his mid-40s doing Marius Pujanowski type shit. Look at this. Woo! See that? He thought he was going to hit the overhand right. Uh, for the second time, he throws the overhand right as a fake, or as like a setup anyway. And then instead of going over, comes under. Uh, and there was also a feint with the jab, so he brings his hand out, and that was all she wrote. That was Dude, all she wrote. look at the ag aggressiveness of those back 
uh, tattoos to uh, the temporary tats to to advertise, Luke, they love that in Poland. Dude, it's not just look. He's got one over his chest as well. Oh, you mean about Materla? I thought he had a rash guard on. Jesus Christ, that's his real advertisement. I mean that 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 you know people shout out to the the early boxing two thousands pay per views where like Bernard Hopkins would have goldenpalace.com on his back. Yeah, Rico uh, UFC guys did trouble? it briefly. There was a brief era where I I I could be wrong, but I think Rico Rodriguez did it for one UFC mm-hmm. fight, and then UFC was like, no fucking way we're allowing this. Which you know. I don't really agree with in principle, but I will say in practice. While I see, here, for example, BC, I don't share your opinion about how like clean the uniform look is, but it probably is better to get fake tattoos off of the, <laughs> the backs and chest of your athletes. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll grant that one. So uh, Rico Rodriguez told me when I interviewed him ahead of his BKFC fight a couple years ago, Luke, that it was UFC told them no advertisements because they're fighting at the Mohegan Sun, so no advertisements of any other casinos. And then he showed up for the fight with the Golden Palace on the back, and he says uh, he was blacklisted by Dana White in that moment, and that's why they never talk about him historically again. Hmm. Maybe so. That might be true. Um, quickly, on Gervonta added all those stomach and chest hats. Luke, I don't have a picture of him here. He also added his daughter's name around his brow right here. Did you like the additions to Gervonta's uh, ink? He's got about what I would call best case scenario for face tattoos. What I mean by that is he got he has it right around the jawline and then over like hidden arches. So it kind of it blends in a little bit, right? It doesn't like it's not like like Post Malone or Stitches, the rapper who um would just write shit on their face like a toddler just, you know, fucking not looking and, and writing on the walls when when mom and dad aren't around. His is a little bit more artistic yeah um would you do are you shameless enough to get a puja level temporary tat on your face to advertise a potential product during the show like would you wear you know like delta eight sponsorships over like right here for like one episode uh yes i would and i hope everyone who's involved in the sales department is watching this (laughs) you're like if they pay me with product by the way we've got we've got they want to work with us can we make this deal happen i know dude there are real there are delta eight suitors out there and right now everyone involved with the show is dropping the ball it's on brand folks let's do it all right luke watch the chicago cubs catcher here uh doing a little uh how's your father here to the batter This is how I greet BC every time I see him. <laughs> it actually is true. You always put your hand on my thigh. I don't know if you if you're like you know if you're you're testing the waters to see if I'll bang bros, but I won't, Luke. I won't. Okay, thank you, uh, Luke. Let's rate. Let's play a game called Rate This Gym Behavior. Okay, let's start off with this with this uh, creative home gym idea. I hope this guy what? gets electrocuted and paralyzed. What's the difficulty level here, Luke? Times a thousand, but it's like, dude, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. I really hope this guy hurts himself. I mean that sincerely. All right. Your thoughts on Clarissa Shields, who recently got married to gym owner Tony Rich, showing on on IG how couples work out. Let's zoom in. Yeah, I saw this and I nearly blocked him for it. (laughs) Luke, uh, when I worked out with you in Miami during the filming of MK Doc number five, um, you didn't suggest this, Luke. Funny enough, we, we you know? should we should do this next time. <laughs> All we right. should do. This. I mean, it's like, dude, if I went to the gym and people were doing this, I mean, I'm going to do one of two things. 
I'm either going to complain to the manager or just cancel my membership right there. I mean, oh, I, thought, <laughs> I thought openly masturbate was going to be the third one, Luke, but apparently not. All right. Only if Clarissa Shields was with a with a, with a female friend. But the point I'm trying to make here is, you know, this is the kind of shit. It's like if this is a private gym, then you know, obviously do what the fuck you want. But if I go into a public gym or, you know, whatever, one where anybody can go and come in uh, and you're doing this. I mean, you deserve to be beaten with a barbell. I mean, what are we doing here? I think that's actually, of course, his fiance. I don't think they're married yet. I know, I know, I know. But I'm just—it's not like—it's not. I don't mind a couple being affectionate. Can you not do it in the middle of the fucking gym? That's that's sort okay, of my Luke, attitude. Maybe that was after hours. Maybe that was an OnlyFans video. Yeah, maybe it was. Um, I don't know. Let's stay in the gym. What do you think about this perpendicular clean lift, Luke? So this is a Jefferson clean. This looks like you got to be strong as shit, dude. What the fuck is he doing? That's is not that a real? perpendicular clean. This is called stunt lifting. So there is com- something called the, uh, what's it called? I think it's called the Steinborn squat, where mm-hmm. they take these giant heavy, um, like, they're not 45-pound weights, but there's like these like spherical weights on either side. And you do it with the barbell standing parallel to you, and then you lean, and then you bring it up, and then you sort of set it on the other side. That's called a Steinborn squat. That's real, but this shit is just like, hey, let me do some dumb shit for Instagram lifting where I'm going to blow my back out and be paralyzed from the waist down from age 25 on. Stop doing this shit. It reminds me of when Iron Sheik in the early 80s would have those Persian clubs and he'd be swinging them and nobody else could lift them, Luke. Like Thor's Thor's motherfucking hammer, bro. Oh, Luke, I don't know the CFL football player's name, but he does some theatrical lifting online. What do you think about this uh, barbell backflip move? Uh, he's athletic. Dude, that's impressive as hell, yeah. Luke. Yeah, he's athletic. That is, I, I can't see if those are 10 kilos or 10 pounds, but either way, 60 to 80 pounds on the on the barbell, which I guess is sort of helping him with his rotation. But to, to hold it and land the, the fucking, uh, you know, flip there is, dude, he's an athlete. That's a real athlete right there. And, Luke, it is lake season, right? I was at the lake last night, only I didn't bring my weights with me. Check out this guy's dedication. I I, I just hate this shit. I hate all this shit. I hate all of these guys. I hate this whole stupid bro culture of, like, let me lift something inadvisably heavy in the worst possible fucking ways. Because yeah. it might get five extra clicks on Instagram. I hope all of these guys get paralyzed from the waist down. Do they do that at Zoo Culture, Luke? The uh, the Bradley Martin gym? I've never been. I've never been. Oh, I don't know. Great gym, yeah. Probably. Uh, let's, Luke, you ever wonder why parasailing has weight limits? I'm about to. Oh, this poor fuck. Oh, this chubby bastard. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> It looks like they're trying to skin a cow just by rubbing it. Oh, boy. Uh, we don't have liftoff, Luke. That is... <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. That's great. Shout Dude, out it, that I mean, he looks like he has two different bodies. I'm not saying his legs are super skinny. Go back to it real quick. 
I'm not saying his legs are super skinny, but his legs look like they're a different person that just like I mean, look at the up. I mean, the, you know, my man's got some muffin top there. You know, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, he's got a few raspberries now on his legs after being dragged across that state park, Luke. That's great. Uh, Luke, I got a new segment for you in this. Uh, here's some new combat sports ideas that are floating around. All I need from you are a yay or a nay in terms of your interest in watching. First nay, wheelchair. Nay, nay. No, it doesn't do it for you? Listen, I, I don't want it to deny them the opportunity to do it, but my interest level in it is low. Oh, there's a guy down. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Uh, so if you knock him out of the chair, do you win? Dude, dude this is going to get me into territory where I'm making fun of people with disabilities yeah, and I don't do want to do that. Let's go on. To, all right, yay or nay on this next one, Luke. I think they call this medieval MMA. These Renaissance fair bastards love this shit, Luke. Yeah, again, two guys living with their parents who are just <laughs> fail sons. Two absolute fucking losers of the highest order. Both of them should be impaled and then dragged like that fat guy across the lake. All right, let's move on here. Uh, yay or nay to the uh, PFC, Luke, the Pillow Fight Championships. A lot of bored people out here, bro. <laughs> A lot of bored people out here. They got nothing to do. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Look at that. Now we got a real gonna fight. They're going to hug it out now. They're going to hug it out. They might bang. I don't know. Like, dude, I mean, that's the, that's the worst fight with no punches being thrown in human history. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. One more for you. Uh, I think we should probably call this boat boxing, Luke. It's. I don't know if it's going to catch on. Again, <laughs> it, it, my only way I'd watch this is if both participants are drowned afterwards. All oh, right. Well, speaking of boating, Luke, it is outdoor boat season, and you know the rules. <laughs> don't drink and drive, and don't drink and boat. Oh, you're going into the drink, old man. See ya. <laughs> Couple too many of them white claws, Luke. That'll do it to you. Wow. Yeah, good. Great. Yeah, good. Boy, boy, look at the balance on this fucking gymnast. He can't even take a step down without just collapsing into the earth. Uh, let's move on. Unfortunately, this boat user, Luke, uh, will not be fathering any children, but he did make our show, so shout out to him just the same. Yeah, get <laughs> fucked, loser. Get fucked. How was that? This is BC's three needles moment right here. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. And then this happy couple, Luke, while on their yacht, challenged each other to a uh, shotgun beer guzzle. Not really. They're having a truly. <laughs> I guess you're right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. This is what should happen every time. This is actually a best case scenario. <laughs> you, ever have, you ever have any dates that ended like that, Luke? I wish. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on. Hey, Mike Tyson, Luke. We know his. Uh, he can. He can tear it up in the boxing ring, the podcast ring, the one man show ring, the weed ring. How about the basketball court? Did you see Tyson out here making it rain? <laughs> is that a five-foot hoop? I mean, what is that? <laughs> Look at that line drive shot. I'm not going to tell him it's bad form, Luke. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, if Mike was there, I'd be like, "Yo, Mike, how come you're not in the NBA?" But from a safe distance, <laughs> from a safe distance, I'm like, "That's like a five-foot hoop, bro." Yeah, he looks like Bill Cartwright shooting that. That's that's a little bit gross, but hey, Mike can do it all. He's a, he's the best. How, what do you think is in his system during that video, Luke? I think there's probably a little bit of blood in his THC system. <laughs> all right. Uh, Luke, going out for dinner, you do have to be careful based on your hair situation. 
this poor bastard. Oh boy, that's not, that's not the right way, dude. Dude, I worked for a guy who had an obvious toupee, and when I say an obvious one, I mean like this. Like, there would be no other way a human could look at that and be like, "Oh, that's natural." And you just you you, you look at him, you're like, "Dude, what is it you see in the mirror where this is the best available option to you?" And the worst part was that guy was rich; like, he could afford, you know hair plugs or whatever the fuck they do for these people. You see Francis Ngannou's getting all that, all that stuff done? Oh, he is? Um, he's getting that LeBron hair plug? Hair yeah, plug he's getting all the hair plugs. And it's like, good for him, dude, because that's what he wants. It's, it's great. Like, the people oh, who wear right. toupees, I'm like, dude, that's a very 1920 solution to this problem. That's fair. That's fair. But summertime also means fun by the pool, Luke, so you know where this is heading. You ever have, you ever, do you have a pop-up outdoor uh, pool like the this big, lady the, has? Dude, a, a white person who's a big girl in an above-ground pool. This is going poorly from the word go. Yep. Oh, oh boy. Well, that's the fat lady. She, I don't know if she's saying, but let's check out this fat guy on the roof. You know if you're a fat guy and you're on a roof and there's a pool nearby, you're going to end up in this show. Luke. Oh, this yeah, you better, yeah you better get the crutches, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Just, dude, look at the dub T. Is this Jay Aaron with the white sunglasses? Who is this? (laughs) He looks like the teacher in uh, Billy Madison, doesn't he, Luke? Dude, and what is that, a chicken coop behind him? He's on the roof of a chicken coop jumping into an above-ground pool. I mean, that's just the epitome of dub T. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's keep it moving here with this pool hijinks. little frisbee (laughs) on the the pool deck. Always a good time had by all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> congrats dude you've been working out <laughs> yeah all right that's great uh a couple more for you luke let's go to uh let's go to the diving board right what do we got here i don't even know what this is oh yeah roof more rooftop pool action one bonus one for you break your ankles pussy yep yeah, hold eat down, shit hold every hold one of you I mean, dude that's the most timid jump off ever yeah, that's not. That's he not tiptoed it. Uh, what do you think you're gonna fly once you jump, you fucking loser? <laughs> and by the way, look. Go, show it one more time. Look at the instructions from the guy waving him on. Clearly sober. Oh yeah, just do it. You'll make it. You know, you got enough room. There right. you go. I mean, he did make it. All right, moving on. Couple more. Let's do it. What? what I don't even know what this is, Luke. It says here. Uh, yeah. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> So she's Roly Romero, and the diving board is Tank Davis. It, more or less, yes. I hate to laugh at that, Luke, because you know people get they get they get hazed over stuff like this. It changes them, but uh, yeah, that's hilarious. All right, let's go back to some uh, uh, regional MMA. Did you see this white trash white trash matchup here, Luke, with Rowdy Rooster in the red trunks right there? Look at this. This is great. You know, I hate the jokes when you say like, "Hey, man, who's gonna you know one of these guys is gonna drive the Uber home." But for real, I think one of these guys is actually going to drive the Uber home. <laughs> we got we got to get this guy in the UFC, Luke. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I'd love to see his bookshelf. All right, uh, Luke, I got one more game for you here. It's called How Much Money Would It Take for You to Eat This? I present the food. You say how much money I'd have to pay. All right. This one's called the hot dog calzone. What is that, jizz? <laughs> it's mustard, I think. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
That, that that's kind of erotic there, right, Luke? Wow. That's no, <laughs> that's not erotic. That is fucking nauseating. So what would it take? Hunger. Okay. <laughs> like okay. Five bucks. I don't know. I okay, probably five, eat it, but well, it is gross. Five bucks. Dude, okay, number- watching that watching that sausage get put in there is fucking gross. Okay, number two, Luke. I think they call this banana bread. How much would it take for you to eat this? <laughs> The, the kind of calls that I would get in college being like, you have 24 cents in your bank account. <laughs> All right, let's go on to this. I think they called this grilled cheese mac and cheese pizza, Luke. What would it take? Damn, bro. I mean, I've always said it's hard to have bad pizza, but these motherfuckers are trying. Mikey says he'll try it for two Delta 8s, Luke. That sounds like a good deal. I would you know what? That. I probably would, too, after two Delta 8s. Yeah, that's fair. All right. This one's called, uh, I think it's a Bloody Mary of some kind. Maybe it's a hangover special. Only it's a pretty aggressive one, Luke. Would you? I mean, we're just killing animals for <laughs> the worst reasons ever and then putting firecrackers up their ass. Can you I mean, imagine you the that? life that this animal had before this and we just fucking ended it so we could shove this up its ass? Like, we right, really last, are the worst Last species. one, Luke. How much would, it, would we have to pay you to bob for apples here? What, like snapping turtle? Oh, God. <laughs> not, dude, not I mean, for all of Jeff Bezos' wealth. Someone throw right. a toaster in there, please. And finally, Luke, you know the old saying, smoke them if you got them. Look at this hero. 20 cigarettes at one time. Could you pull this off? So I've done this, but not like this. I wish I could say I wasn't equally stupid, but I was. We got a rubber band, and we just took an entire pack and shoved them all together, and I was able to kind of make it work. It's, it's an awful experience, just to be quite clear. I mean, this guy is also, you know, the, Tyler here is just living off of his dad's wealth. I'm sure his dad is, you know. Uh, Luke, that's the shit for this week. We'll push off fan subs until Friday, but uh, thank you for, for enduring that. Thank you. It was Makes fun. I like fan. I like Have You Seen the Shit. It's one of my favorite things on the show. Good stuff. Uh, all right, BC, just to remind everyone, we are back on Friday. We will have a Friday show. We'll get you ready for all the weekend's fights and react to all the news. If you would like to reach the show, if you still have some fan subs that you haven't turned in because we pushed them off till Friday, I guess you can send them in there. Those are our various places on social, but morningcombat at gmail.com is the email to reach the program, of course. Uh, showtime.com is the label that pays, as we mentioned. Fulton Jr., back in action against Danny Roman. If you want to watch it, you can get it for free. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. Morningcombat.store for all the stuff that BC and I are wearing. You could be wearing it, too, and everything else that might interest you. BC, any final thoughts? Jake's in my driveway. So, uh. All right, Jake's in the driveway. With that in mind, shouts to Jake, shouts to BC, shouts to Malka, CBS Sports, and Showtime. I'm Luke Thomas. We'll catch you guys on Friday. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.